Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. Greetings, and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle of the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I do various things at a place called Freethink. I am delighted to be here with you, broadcasting from Manhattan, where everyone Mm. is completely terrified of the coronavirus, and our very good friend Matt Welch isn't here. He isn't feeling great. (laughs) And we all have to presume the worst. So this is where we do the in memoriam thing. Yeah. Where we talk about what a great guy he was. Yeah, it was great. Not always. Yeah, not always. But a lot of the time. He had some problems. He was spectacular. Yeah. And then other times when he became a vector of disease. (laughs) <laughs> what do we say now when people die? It's like, he had a complicated legacy. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty complicated. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. God. Remember the way he used to hit the table? Oh, yes. man. Yeah. Eros. Yeah. Wow. That was that Golly. was bad. I'm, you know what? Now that you say that, I'm kind of glad that he's gone. <laughs> yeah. He was really a problem. Well, let's pour one out from Matt Welch. He's actually, he's had a bit of a rough week, but we, yeah. we care about him. Um, also joined, of course, by Michael Moynihan of Vice News. He is in hi, the building. Hi, hi. He is resilient. He, um, he's had so many sexually transmitted diseases that mm-hmm. he has that whole Mr. Burns syndrome yeah, yeah. where he can't actually die. Nope. Completely and by the way, impervious to all maladies. I am not, and I will repeat this, I am not a doctor, <laughs> but hand sanitizer works on a lot of things. It's true. Yeah. It's true. It's just, you have a, like a sort of unseemly episode, uh, and, you know? Yeah. A little PRL is not going to hurt yeah. you. Yeah. It's good yeah. that we can laugh about these kinds of things. We're not going to be laughing pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. But this is, yeah. hey, your last laugh. Yeah. And, uh, the Wuhan to, clan. Glad to bring it to you. Yeah. Um, Anthony Fisher is back. He hey. was uh, on assignment mm-hmm. somewhere for Insider. Where, yeah. where were you at the... Uh, I was at the Conservative Political Action Conference That's right. in Washington, That's right. D.C. Hanging out with Seb Gorka, mm-hmm. mixing it up with Candace Owens. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was <laughs> late night, late night chit chat with uh, Diamond and Silk. Yeah. Oh. Got to see the Peter I Strzok and Lisa Page. Got to see uh, what? The Peter Strzok and Lisa Page uh, oh, I didn't, play. I thought you said something else. They, yeah. they made a play out of their yeah. texts. Yeah. yeah. It was great. He came in here saying a lot of racist stuff a lot uh, who, who did fisher uh, did oh yeah, yeah. oh god and i was if, like it's a little hot and, yeah and coming camille, in a little hot if camille's saying it's racist you know it's true yeah. it's true <laughs> i mean unlike some people <laughs> f and f i don't yeah. ever by the way somebody said that i think on twitter today what's that i can't was it today i was like was like even camille thinks it's racist <laughs> oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> it's like oh yeah I, I actually like that I get to be the the arbiter of what is, in fact, mm-hmm. racist and what's not, not because of my appearance, but because of my thoughtfulness and my rigorousness and my willingness to scrutinize facts and pass judgments that people can believe in. But I like before, that. In I'm before, like kind of the King Solomon of racism. Can, can I, <laughs> that's what I am. Got the baby in Sometimes that's a, that's a bad thing. Yeah, that, I'm like the King it, Solomon of racism. <laughs> is um, that bad? Yeah, yeah, that's not good. Um, and before we get to our guest, because we have a guest in the building and you know guess, this already. A guest who may know something about King Solomon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> good segue. Hey, yeah. yeah, sure. yeah. Bada bing. <laughs> nice one, Lord Jamal. <laughs> <laughs> it's a deep cut, by the way. Yeah. It's, a, it's a deep brand Nubian cut, right? 
there it is. For, for Eli. <laughs> for the Grand Pooba. For the Grand Pooba. That is Eli Lake, right? Yes. yes. Yeah, Eli Lake of Bloomberg. With an Eric B. and Rakim shirt on. Yes. Eric B. and Rakim, 88? Yeah. Or 84. Yeah. I got to tell, you, tell you that, Eli, that we were preparing for you, and we've known that you were coming for some time. Yeah. We even teased it on the Patreon recording. And at the time, I promised people that we were going to give you some shit because your boss, the man you call boss, was running for president of the United States. And we thought, you know, this is going to be a lot of fun because we can have I mean, a lot we of fun also said we're not going to make it expense. awkward for Eli. Well, yeah, but, <laughs> Apparently but by awkward, that. I was thinking, you know, give me a scarf, pillowcase and rope and yeah, we tie yeah. him to the chair yeah, yeah, and yeah. we put the pillowcase over his head yeah. and we don't allow him to participate in the conversation we're having God. about. Bloomberg while he's it's in like the something room. I've read like, in that an Alistair Horn book. This is like, like we're the, well, the, the, the scarf, pillowcase, and rope. That's a it's Biggie Smalls. A story. To oh, tell. oh, yeah. sorry. I've got a story to tell. I was never a big uh, Biggie fan. To be honest. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm wow. serious. Like, I'm like, I'm, I'm. You're more of a Will Smith guy. I am. I am a Jazzy Jeff guy. You're more of a Jazzy Jeff guy. There's only, two, two, only two albums, but they keep on releasing stuff they find in like his mom's basement. Yeah, it's not worth. There's like 58. Not worth listening to. Generally. Speaking. It's a is. bit like saying I'm not really a Michael Jordan fan. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah. By the way, monsters like that. Also not a Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> wow. For the record, someone's starting to yeah. sound a little racist, yeah. Eli. No, well, I'm noticing a pattern. Can I, before I get um, uh, called uh, out for my horrible racism, because we we've like already it. done that, but go ahead. We got some booze in the house. We do. And we tend to do this at the back of the show sometimes, and that's sometimes bad. in the middle. Yeah, it's always bad. But this is uh, Angel's Envy. Uh, which is, uh, hold on, let me just take off this. You can put all these stickers on it. Um, this is a uh, Kentucky straight bourbon, uh, finishing port wine barrels and it's kicking my ass and it is absolutely delicious. Where's this made actually? Where's the angels envy made? Um, is it actually in Kentucky? Well, we'll figure it out later. I can't really see, but the note that comes along with it, yes. which, which, uh, I'm obliged to read mm-hmm. like, um, Aldoro Moro about to be executed. It's <laughs> <laughs> a deep cut, uh, <laughs> Rosa reference. Um, gentlemen, I wanted to give a huge thank you for the countless free hours of entertainment and, uh, and dodgy knowledge. Always. Can I say this word that he wrote? It's know. his words, not mine. Go ahead. We can beep it out. Always feel slightly less retarded after <laughs> listening to the latest dispatch. That is inappropriate. That was his words, yeah. not mine. Inappropriate. Enjoy the beer. Um, the, uh, what is it? The, I can't see the sticker on this. Um, the brewery bottles are from my hometown uh, in Reagan, John Wayne territory. The Black Tuesday is a bit of a monster. This is some sort of stat that he gave us. We haven't done that. Um, hopefully, hopefully Mikey can tolerate it. Why do they add a Y? This <laughs> is diminutive. It's not, it's not right. Uh, keep it up, Toto. Mm, That's guy. the name is Toto. I and I believe. It. So um, he sends us two bottles of booze. He, loves, he also sent us. Love the song Africa, by the way. He also sent it. us some great um, gifts. There's some bumper stickers here. Oh, God. Camille 2020. And the uh, the subhead there is, don't worry, he's not really black. Uh, what's wonderful about this is that the letters are all in bold except for the word black. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is a subtle acknowledgement. Do you think he's a, of the fact that he's race a, is stupid and fake? Which is, or great. I think it's beautiful that he is advocating for you to be president by um, trying to reach a racist crowd, <laughs> <laughs> which is fine. Don't worry, he's not really. I'm black. not. I'm not the guy who would turn away the vote all of right. racists. I know you're not. I want their vote. I know you're, you, you do. I want everyone's vote. Yeah. I'm going to be the president of all Americans. When I say it, I mean it, unlike other people who fake, apparently. Well, Toto um, did I, some amazing sent, stuff. Yeah, he sent the bumper stickers. He also sent some other uh, wonderful gifts, and I appreciate them, some of which suggest that 
maybe this was sent in like the summer. And uh, honestly, guys, we have a backlog. I've got three got more backlog. boxes that are at the office now that I have yet yeah. to open. But thank you very much but, to everybody we'll, who sends and, the booze. And we'll, we'll mention a lot, some of this stuff, yes, too, we'll on, to um, on the Patreon. And um, Toto, of course, at the beginning said the countless free hours of entertainment. Mm. Comrade Toto. Yeah. There's ways of... Paid. Well, I mean, he's, he, he's paid. Come oh, I know. On. I'm kidding. Come yeah. on. I'm like, I'm like on. some of these other folks. Come on. Can we tee up something else? Yeah, let's go. I do some, a couple, um, couple things. Just a couple, couple housekeeping things. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. a couple housekeeping things. Okay. Um, on Monday, uh-huh. this week, on Monday, I am going to, to, to drop... Should I talk about this or this not? This coming Monday. Yeah. Or okay. is this just for Patreon people? Go for it. Do it. Which one is it for? Uh, do what you want to do. I don't know. Which one is it for? Just, just go. All right. <laughs> Well, if you sign up for the Patreon, <laughs> that's like the old raves where you had uh, to go and get the address from uh, somebody. <laughs> uh, we'll be doing some drinking here on uh, on Monday after a Soho Forum debate between uh, Richard Epstein and Tim Wu, I hmm. believe. I don't know the subject is it, is it intellectual property or something like that? I can't remember. Can't remember. But Soho Forum, um, after that, we'll be doing a little uh, fifth column uh, drinks thing in New York City. Right. Um, so come, drop us a line. We'll tell you where it's going to be. We do not know yet. Um, well, and if you post the details in the Patreon, uh, Patreon will post post the details. Uh, drop me a line either way if you want to come and you're not a Patreon subscriber and in person, I will um, yell at you and tell you to buy us drinks or something. Uh, but yeah, we'll be doing that on Monday night. And if you drinking on a Monday night is a fun is a fun thing because mm-hmm. it's the start of the week and uh, you can get drunk and uh, and uh, we'll we'll excuse it. So yeah. Monday night and uh, we are possibly going to be doing a live show very soon mm-hmm. and we'll be filling you in on the details it'll be an east coast live show not in this city not but, not, uh, not possibly it's it's we're doing a live we're doing show it. in dc we're doing a live show in dc okay and we're gonna say we're it. talking wow, we about that. we're talking about some other live show I'll, yeah. I'll host the after party yeah um, oh so, cool the yeah. D- seriously the, yeah and then we're we're the new place is mm. centrally located. Okay, yeah. great. So we'll be doing, we'll be doing it at the mm-hmm. beginning of Anthony's May. Anthony's been there. I mean, yeah. we're talking about hundreds of people, Eli. <laughs> yes, hundreds of people. This is, I mean, a, this is the VIP I'll, after party. You know, VIP after It's going to okay. get weird. This is the VIVIP after yeah, party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, I get, you could be like a doorman at Bergheim or something. Slip <laughs> <laughs> me some cash and I'll let you into Eli's house. Yeah. But yeah, that'll be the beginning of May. More precise details to come. Coronavirus permitting. And we have good guests. I mean, we have uh, some good stuff coming. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm thinking, because um, I like the podcast, we just talk about it. We just talk openly. I don't care. Thinking of maybe shooting this, um, mm-hmm. like like uh, uh, getting some cameras in there and actually uh, filming this oh, one. Sure. Uh, and doing a couple of special things with it. So we will see. But a lot Magic. of stuff, a lot of stuff coming. Good. Good. Cool. Uh, well, I mean, guys, can we can we get into the shits? Because it's been a little while. A lot has happened. Uh, the last time I think we recorded together. Mm-hmm. Aaron Mate was in the, yeah, in the room yeah. and he was taking a bit of a victory lap yes. and it looked like Bernie Sanders was threatening <laughs> to clench the Democratic nomination. There was talk about the party splintering, which may in fact still happen. Uh, there was talk about uh, Joe Biden being completely finished. Yes. Uh, but what a difference a little over a week makes. Super Saturday was a huge mm. deal for Joe. He completely overperformed in South Carolina, which set the stage for him to completely dominate Super Tuesday, winning in places he was not supposed to win, in places he hadn't even visited, apparently. Yes, a couple. (laughs) I mean, the guy is dominant, and I don't know how it is happening. I don't understand how it's working. Apparently some interesting intra-party machinations that 
perhaps will eventually be known mm. to all phone calls being made to the Buddha judges of the world saying, hey, it's how it goes. Get out of the race. Horse trading. And not only get out of the race, but endorse the guy. Yeah. Use the currency yeah. that you have right now, dude. You can be maybe the secretary of transportation. You maybe you'd be the vice president. <laughs> yeah, and somehow not. or another, and all of this, fucking Beto O'Rourke is now, again, a topic of conversation mm -hmm. who manages to get himself onto stage. Everyone is eager to kiss the ring of Joe Biden. Now you're pounding the table. Sleepy Biden. Joe Barisma Biden. I have to say that. Getting uh, the ring kissed. <laughs> I have to say The Onion today had um, a very, very funny headline. Uh, and the headline was a picture of like a bearded like white guy at his, at his Mac uh, in, the, in his kitchen. And the headline is Sanders supporter urges importance of listening to minority voice voices, just not specifically the ones who've handed victory to Biden. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, talk, uh, about about, the size of it. talk about an ebony firewall. Yeah. This is what Biden was counting on. And the minorities delivered. Eli, you are an aficionado of black culture. Some would say an appropriator of it, but I would say lover. Yeah. Why do the blacks love Joe Biden so much? Honestly, it's one that's tough to figure out, but I really do think that it has something to do with the fact that he was Barack Obama's vice president. That's pretty much it. And I think he has gaff Teflon. It's mm. incredible. Because you didn't have to search the C-SPAN archives. It, there were a lot of gaffes that were leading up to yeah. his Super Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter. <laughs> Which yeah. I think at one point he called Super Thursday. Yeah, he called it Super <laughs> Thursday. Remember he was just like, uh, yeah. he, what did he say? He's like, oh, you know, all men are created. You, you, know, you know the thing. You know the thing. <laughs> we all these yeah. truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by, go, you know the, you know the thing. You know the yeah. thing. By Would the you? way, we do. We do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's, he's right. not wrong. He's not we wrong. And there, there's but remember, he's got a stutter. So that's the. Well, he had a stutter. He taught himself limits. You know, yeah. right. And can we can we be real in the room, though? It ain't a stutter. Mm -hmm. And we cannot call it gaffes anymore. No. Something is amiss. It's it's declined with Joe Biden. Yeah, it's clearly declined. I don't think it is declined. You Go back and so? watch Joe Biden from 25 years ago. He's the same logorheic. Yeah. Word salad. Yeah. Blarney. Yeah. Uh, you know, aficionado. He just. He likes to make up stories. But he and doesn't tell tall look tales. like he's all there a lot of the time, Eli. From afar, it does not seem but, like the man. No, is but I'm saying that's that's well. that's classic Biden. Okay, but you know, it's funny. It's I remember having this uh, thought with George W. Bush, mm -hmm. who was often stepping in it and on it and sure. stepping on rakes and things. Every, sure. But when he gave a speech or an extemporaneous talk where he he got through it, mm -hmm. you're like, oh God, yeah. wow! It's like watching a high wire act. I mean, yeah. I've seen Biden a few times fairly recently, and I'm like, oh, that was good. That made sense. Is it is it, it the low bar? It's or the is low it, bar. Okay. It is a low bar. And so, you know, but the thing to remember about this is that, you know, Trump is making fun of him. Watch Trump in 1988. Watch him. It's a different person. Mm -hmm. He sounds clever. He sounds smart. He really does. He sounds like a totally different person. So for him to be making fun of the decline, I don't know if maybe Trump is, is you know, um, doing a bit of an act, his populist act, that I'm one of you and I'm going to talk this way. Mm -hmm. But he used to talk in a totally different manner. And that is absolutely undeniably true. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is that, you know, if Biden is stepping in, think of the things that Trump says, too. Yeah. I mean, they are absurd, sometimes semi-coherent, yeah. sometimes all over the place. But he does it with a kind of smile and a punchline. Yeah. And it's it's still I mean, it's we're going we'll be going from one to another if Joe Biden won the nomination and then the presidency. Well, I they, think but we have to uh, the other factor here mm -hmm. is that 
I think Bernie Sanders scares a lot of just what I call regular Americans. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah. like, you know, when I was watching those results on Super Tuesday, I kept thinking of the Big Lebowski moment where he's just like, your revolution is over. Condolences. The bums lost. Your revolution is over, Mr. Lebowski. Condolences. The bums lost. My advice to you is to do what your parents did. Get a job, sir. The bums will always lose. Do you hear me? Anyway, I just sort of feel that uh, in some ways, especially the South Carolina, like there that the Bernie Sanders appeal. This is a political revolution. Actually, Castro had some great ideas and was good at literacy and education. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of go through the list of stuff. And I think even a lot of Democrats are like, well, that's that's not really who we are. We don't we don't really hate our party. We don't really feel that way. Well, it's much more vociferous coming from Democrats, uh, less yeah. uh, from Republicans who who think that Bernie's an easier target and it would be easier to defeat him. I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, I, don't, I, don't I never thought that, that was the case. I, no, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's true. I don't know if that's true, but you yeah. know, Donald Trump was Trump very excited said, to run against Trump has said at different times, though, that the person he was concerned, most concerned about was Bernie Sanders, at least uh, during the yeah, Clinton-Bernie battle. Well, I'm now, not sure if you say, when I was at the Trump rally and he was like, he'd already anointed Bernie as the man he was running against. Yeah. And he seemed like genuinely excited about it because now in Trump's mind, he has this incredible record that, you know, the economy is amazing, blah, 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 you know, mm-hmm. the stuff that he, that he says, which some of it has a, you know, a very kind of tenuous grasp on reality and truth. But, um, you know, I think now he's, he's so confident that running against Bernie, he thinks that he could, he could crush you just saying, calling people socialists, whatever. I don't think that works either, by the way. I don't, I don't think, think so. people re- no, I don't think people really get that. I mean, in a kind of post-Cold War world when, you know, if you're running as a socialist, right? Well, no, I'm a democratic socialist, but the word socialist is in it. And it's also in the title of the USSR, right? And that's like our great enemy. And you have the same, it's in theirs and in yours. Yeah. It's an easier uh, kind of attack to make. Sure. Whether or not, you know, it's a justifiable one. But, you know, it's weird because they're, the campaign which is pretty, pretty aggressive. And it will, it will ramp up to underline that word democratic, which I don't know if that really resonates with people yeah. that, you know, it's like, no, 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 I'm a democratic socialist like Sweden and, and Norway. And it's only a coincidence that I was really, really defending Nicaragua and Cuba. So, so tell me, so tell and me the, the which chandeliers one of, of Soviet subways. <laughs> well, which one of these things is it though, Moynihan? Is it, is it that people, that the attack on, on Bernie that says, hey, he's a socialist. Yeah. How could you possibly vote for this guy? Are those potent or not? Because I don't, it sounds like you're saying both things. No, I'm not saying both things. Okay. Um, no, I'm saying that it, it doesn't really, I mean, I don't think people understand now in a post-Cold War world uh-huh. that, I mean, I think socialists, then you could make a direct connection to this person, this this country that was constantly in our field of vision sure. internationally as the enemy. Sure, sure. And now, but what they think, though, is that it is, it is let's not take the risk. Right. And let's be so we'll sure, qualify it with always qualifying it as democratic socialism. Gotcha. Which, you know, I don't, I don't doubt mm-hmm. that, you know, I don't think Bernie is going to, you know, establish gulags in, you know, Oklahoma or something, but. Give him a second term. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a little excited. But, you know, it, it is always funny to me uh-huh. that people who say, no, 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 we're different. We're Sweden. It's like, okay, well, why do you go around defending the bad guys in this way? Like, particularly during the 80s when Bernie, uh, they, I think it was Burlington had 
right. two or three sister Just city two. programs, and they were like the Soviet Union, Nicaragua, and maybe a Cuba one. I'm not right. sure, yeah. but it possibly a Cuba one. But it's like it wasn't with Denmark. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, there wasn't in Noam, like you know, inviting always like Noam Chomsky was always being invited to speak, and and I know that some of our listeners are probably a little more generous to Chomsky than I am. But yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think that these days the socialism thing sticks on a, I mean, we'll see how Trump handles it. But I think that if you ask the average person, like, what do you think of socialism? They have a sort of generally negative reaction, but that's mm-hmm. changing, yeah. particularly amongst young people. Can, I, well, can we, I give a super hot take? Yeah, uh-huh. give a hot take. Because America's healthcare system is actually stupendous and magnificent. <laughs> we have all of these very older voters who would die in socialist countries who vote and pay attention <laughs> to the news and are not on Twitter. And they all vote for Biden. So the Biden vote is a repudiation of Medicare for all in some ways because it shows that our healthcare system is keeping people alive longer. That is and the boomers a just, sizzling hot take. That's super know. hot. I don't even really believe that. I'm, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just saying. Just, I'm going to let that stand uncontested. Yeah. Anyway, the point yeah. the the point though is that everybody, I think, because the media class in particular is on Twitter, we think that this sort of younger millennial voice, which is super enthusiastic about Bernie is representative of the Democratic Party and it's obviously not. Sure. Mm-hmm. Isn't that isn't that the 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 moral of the story that there's like I mean, a whole bunch of like, you that, know, that much that much seems clear at this point. Yeah. A bunch um, of boomers. I mean, there's enough data on this too and yeah. that, you know, the 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 um can't remember the name of that uh poll that Yasha Monk who is a guest on the show uh-huh. uh wrote about um and actually Thomas uh, Chatterton uh, William, uh he has a podcast that he does from um, the American, what is it? The American Library or something I in Paris? I don't know this. Yeah, it's a new one. And now he had the guy on that that, that did the poll, um, that or, or or owns the company, and uh, it's about it's about polarization and everything. Uh-huh. But those polls show us what we all should know if we take a step back is that you know Twitter is a great distortion lens, and it makes us believe that the world is rather different than it actually is. And, you know, I mean, in that poll, it was like oh, about 8% of Americans like this woke stuff. Hmm. And that was something that that was, it was not an age thing. It was across ages, across genders, across class. People just don't like it. Yeah. And there's a very small, but if you go on Twitter and remember that thing that the New York Times did a thing about this study, about what the left is on Twitter and what the left is in real life, what the Democratic Party is and what the the sort of, um, you know, Democrat sympathizing left of center people on Twitter. And they're very different. Mm-hmm. And one is obviously um, much further left. And that's, of course, Twitter. Yeah. Hold on. But is, is, well, I, before and I want to hear from Anthony, but before is does Bernie represent the woke wing no, he does not he doesn't he represents the the class, class warfare yeah, wing sure and i think that those really are different i mean ellie bowles wrote that piece about chapo trap house and they're like deliberately they call themselves the dirtbag left because they deliberately left to transgress sure all of those lines i think that's great I'm bernie, yeah. bernie made some shifts in the direction of what right. has to be a bit more palatable to them but certainly elizabeth warren was the last yes. of that particular yes. brand of politics and now elizabeth warren as of today actually is no longer a part of the race um and it does seem Picture that it is again. down to a two-person race although other people are still out there yeah. Um, and, and we should get back to that. There are some, some but, other themes that are worth talking about here. I, but, a I don't quick wanna... thing, but a quick thing on what Eli said uh-huh. is that, and to the point of what the, the type 
of progressivism that Bernie is selling. Mm -hmm. You know, he got the Joe Rogan endorsement and there was a Twitter storm and it gives you a sense of how divorced, you know, Bernie is from Twitter and how little he cares about this stuff is that if that was something that Elizabeth Warren, you know, she had gotten that endorsement and said, great, and hadn't thought about it. I was it. with the Chapo guys on the Joe Rogan controversy. Like, what's what's the big deal? Yeah, exactly. But but right. that was when I was at the, and, and, and you know this, Camille, and I think mm-hmm. I mentioned it, when I was at those two Bernie rallies, I asked a number of people and they were like, no, Rogan's great. It's, I'm glad that, that Bernie's reaching a different audience. But I can imagine other candidates actually thinking that this was a crisis and backing down. Sure. Bernie didn't say a damn thing. Said, you know, thank you very much. And that was it. It mm-hmm. never came back. And that gives you a good sense of the difference between the Bernie progressivism. And I think Elizabeth Warren, if that were to come up, would, you know, make a campaign speech or release a statement or say, we're really sorry. I mean, I think there's a lot of complex layers, though, of the three people just who, are still, who yeah. are still involved in the race right now. There are two that have serious committed supporters. Yeah. And that is Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Yes. And both of and those Tulsi contingents, uh, Tulsi is not really in the race at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, she does have but committed those, supporters. She though. does. The five no of them. Five yeah. of them. Oh, you're, you're, you're counting out the GRU. I'm exactly. kidding. Yeah. I'm, what? kidding. What? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anyway. But I'm, but I'm saying, I'm saying that those, those contingents are eager to excuse virtually anything their candidate does. Of course. And I think Bernie sitting back and allowing himself the room to have this thing play itself out is just strategically made sense. I don't know that there's anything that Bernie Sanders could say that the diehard faithful committed to his cause wouldn't Mm. find a way to say, well, I mean, you know, he kind of has a point. There's kind of, there's kind of a thing there. So I don't know, but there are some other things here that we should talk about. But what about Warren? Warren is certainly one of those things. Um, a Elizabeth lot of Warren, hot takes today, Elizabeth Camille. Warren b- bows out of the race. <laughs> and there is a narrative that has been established for some time. Uh, and I think it is embodied in, in a tweet that I'll read. Uh, the best candidate of them all had to quit. She had a plan for everything <laughs> with one major thing missing. The quote, right, unquote, sex. Let's be real. This is not playing the gender card. It's just a fact. Two things about that is like, I've objectively done the math. It's not a subjective <laughs> thing. And she was the best candidate. Yeah. Not my opinion. It's just the best candidate. That was, oh, okay, I, okay, it okay, came okay. out of the machine and said she's the best candidate. And so it's a fact. Yeah. Uh, how do I know? Because I said so. Yeah. It is a fact. And it's really, really great because it fits into my worldview. I, who, who wrote that tweet? Um, who is this person? Martina Navratilova. Oh, yeah. Who's this person? <laughs> yeah, some random uh, to tennis star, who, by the way, um, has been Billie canceled. Jean, Billie, Billie Jean King is a Bernie sis. <laughs> <you know? laughs> well, uh, Martina canceled right. for her views on trans people. Um, but uh, uh, this well, Professor Not, not for her views on sexism, apparently. Do you know Professor Crunk? Yes. This is uh, somebody named Brittany Cooper, mm-hmm. who's... Uh, Rather popular on Twitter with uh, almost 100,000 followers. Yeah, I think this is the the woman who suggested uh, during an Oprah Winfrey event of some sort that black women's struggle with obesity mm-hmm. is a reflection of the challenges of living in white supremacist America. Okay. And to the extent you have a problem with them being obese, you really need there's, to... There's, a, there's, a certain, there's certain things you don't even know how to debate it. I, I, like, I, mean, I don't even know where... Listen, it's a theory. With that? It's a theory. Um, well, she had a tweet 
storm. The first one had 37,000 uh, likes. Um, and this is an interesting thing. This is what I like. It's about, it's, it's very, very similar to the tweet you just read, uh-huh. which is about, they're so sure of themselves. They knew they were right. And the first one is, I'm still mad in the first debate with Bloomberg, which had record-breaking ratings. America's, Americans watched Warren single-handedly tank dude's campaign. Uh-huh. The word there is his campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it proved she could also handle Trump on a debate stage. Don't be so sure about that. Her reward for cleaning up the Bloomberg mess, voters coalescing for Biden. Uh-huh. Now, the next one, and this is an important one, how gender matters. Folks are fine with women doing the custodial work of democracy, sinking candidates that shouldn't be there, <laughs> writing actual plans for the progressive revolution, and in the black women's case, us showing up to vote as long as we don't demand too much. There is so much presumption in these two tweets is that people care about that exchange, right? Mm-hmm. And remember... This this remember the exchange with uh, Kamala Harris and which right. she Gabbard. went up in the polls, right? Uh-huh. Apparently, oh sure, sure, people were fine then, yeah, and then they don't care now because yeah. they're not. I, although I, I, although yeah. Tulsi Gabbard savaged her, and yes. in some respects, yes. might have contributed to the end of her campaign and wasn't yes. rewarded for that either. But I just, perhaps there's something to be said for tor- tanking someone who isn't actually the leader yes. in the race and it not necessarily having a great but, but, deal of value but, but, for but it's personally. also it's also um like it could be a false positive too is that bloomberg just did not do well he's yeah. very good when he's making memes and ads and people like that stuff just when look he gets at me on when stage, you say it. don't look at don't, don't no, look at I, no we, we've put yeah. we've put him under a tarp yeah um <laughs> <laughs> but we when when he's on stage he's terrible he uh-huh. just has no charisma no personality and if you're discounting all of that or she is and just saying it was that one exchange tanked his campaign etc it's this silver bullet this monocausal thing and the thing about this and the why i read this because there's so many hot takes out there today this that this is obviously because of gender mm-hmm. and by the way she was riding high before when all this began and apparently it wasn't about her gender then she was in the lead for a while yeah it's very confusing but um what strikes me about these kind of takes is that how sure these people are about their own worldviews is that I saw this debate and she won. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking to me that she didn't win the whole thing. Right. Because I saw her win. And it's like, well, maybe other people didn't process it that way. It's a possibility that maybe, you know, into the one that you read uh, from Martinez, she's the best one. She, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly she's the best one. Yeah. So why are people not voting for her? And I, was it on the Patreon we talked about, Thomas Frank? Yes. You know, what's the matter yep. with Kansas? Uh-huh. Yep. And, you know, not voting your self-interest. Mm-hmm. Well, Politics is an art, not a science. <laughs> is that, you, you just came back from the bathroom. Just Real talk. Yeah. <laughs> Real talk. Real talk. So anyway, yeah, these hot takes are, are, are driving me a bit, I, a bit crazy. I don't think it's particularly credible. I also think it's worth noting like who is still left in the race. And I think Ezra Klein had a tweet earlier today. Um, so the 2020 election is going to come down to a 73-year-old conspiracy theorist who rambles incoherently and lies constantly versus a 77-year-old who rambles and sometimes loses his place. He's also a fantastic storyteller himself in his own right. Eli, that, that, That's uh, you saying yeah, that. Yeah, Ezra doesn't say that, yeah. but I do. You're talking about um, Joe Biden. Joe Biden, yeah. yeah. We, yeah. Maybe we can talk about that. And a 78-year-old socialist who just had a heart attack. And that is a pretty 
astonishing constellation of candidates yeah. to be in the final runnings for president sure. of the United States, yeah. which suggests to me of the millennial generation. Well, no, but I, <laughs> but I think it actually suggests to me that discounting gender or any other immutable characteristic, it's not obvious that the end result of this process is choosing the very best person to be president of the United States. Anyways, yeah. the fact that it didn't happen to be Elizabeth Warren or Tom Steyer or Mike Bloomberg or Pete Buttigieg, they all didn't get the nomination. Yeah. And I don't know that discrimination is the is the obvious explanation for any of their failures. So certainly not going to accept as an empirical, incontrovertible fact that sexism and sexism alone accounts for her there, loss. It I, is certainly possible that it is a contributing factor. It's possible. Of I'll course, acknowledge of that. Course. But we don't, I mean, look, Anthony it. sent something uh, today. You can remind me what it was, Anthony. But it was, it, it, everybody is saying this because it's their instinct, right? Their feeling. And when you have a feeling that, that this is, you know, in the culture in a way that is so destructive and, and, and will prevent, you know, look, I, I mean, it, it's funny that the, the t- top vote getters in the th- last three presidential elections were, you know, a black guy twice and then a woman. I mean, it's just kind of strange, but, but you know, so it's a, it's a little, you think of the black guy. Well, I didn't, the woman, I don't, I'm just, Oh, and women. Well, yes, I'm just talking right. about, the I understand. Thing, yeah. I'm talking about the thing that is supposedly disqualified. You call it black people things. Yeah, no, oh, Jesus oh, also, wow. Yeah. yeah. If somebody was seriously saying that to me, I just walk out. I was like, I can't win this. <laughs> I'm just walking out. The, the train stops running soon. I had a woman say to me on, on Twitter the other day that she would not debate racism with a person of color referring, she, referring to me was she white referring to me was yeah she, referring why? to me saying she wouldn't debate racism well, wait, was with she me. saying why, why not because i i suggested that something that she said sounded racist and she said she won't debate so racism with a person of color why, why, why? did she because did those she... are her principles those are her values that to the extent you I, mean she thought she was going to lose to the extent i a person of color have said something is racist she doesn't have a leg oh, to stand on as I a white see. person of I course see. she proceeded to violate that rule moments yeah. later but I, I just thought it was funny wait, wait, i've if, never had that happen to me before if you're given that power Camille, yeah i mean wouldn't you just go around saying things and like shutting everyone up <laughs> if i had that power i would wield it like a mother i would go yeah. crazy yeah like oh you can't question me would you would you perpetrate racist attacks on yourself uh, probably yeah on myself of course yeah yeah just yeah. to get everyone to shut up <laughs> i don't understand how it works at this I'm point sorry i cut you yeah. off no i just mean like it, it's all these people saying they really liked elizabeth warren right mm-hmm. and it's like it's funny the media is unfair to her but everybody i know in the media is elizabeth warren supporter yeah. i mean almost everybody i mean yeah. i'm totally serious about this and that's just an informal poll of people that i know but um you know it's it's a it's a weird thing because there's sure of this but anthony sent something where there was actually Data. Yeah, this is anything just sent to me. Mm-hmm. Um, sexism is the headline, which is really not, uh, you know, it doesn't really do it if its own piece for it much justice. Sexism is probably one reason why Elizabeth Warren didn't do better. And then I looked at uh, the actual data, which is quite confusing because they ask people questions that if they gave an answer in an affirmative or negative, they would deem that sexist. Mm. And if those people then lurched towards Joe Biden or somebody else that would be like, well, the sexism is one of the reasons. Mm. And those questions are um, whether they thought this was true or not. Number one, most women interpret innocent remarks or acts as being sexist. Number two, women are too easily offended. Number three, most women fail to appreciate fully all that men do for them. 
before <laughs> women. I mean, kind of loaded questions here, by the way. This is a, this is a very influential uh, progressive uh, data. Yeah, data for progress. This yeah, is Sean McElwee's company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Number four, uh, women seek to gain power by getting control over men. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know a lot about polling, but it seems a bit thumbing the scale in a little some bit. ways. Yeah. A little bit. Um, and if you agree with one of those, I guess that, you know, you're a monster. But if you, depending on how you answered that, then they were, you were asked who you were voting for. Yeah. And then they would try to do some sort of correlation. But yeah. so at least there's some attempt. I'll give them credit in one way. At least there's some attempt to try to quantify it. Yeah. But I, don't, I haven't seen any evidence that that's, that is the case. Well, maybe we, maybe we push in some other directions here. Um, one can we, thing can we that, just talk briefly about the theory of Bernie supporters that Joe Biden's impressive Super Tuesday uh-huh. was the establishment somehow cheating? Well, I is, mean, you've seen is, that, right? Well, well, here's the question. Is it, is it cheating, it, is it cheating yeah. if the establishment is, and, and so far as we can tell, this is definitely what happened, applying some kind of pressure to candidates to get out of the race so that folks yes. can collate no, around Biden and go heads up with Bernie Sanders. Okay, is that so, cheating? So I want to say something. Um, thank God for whatever that was, because Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. He's a Democratic Socialist. There is a party called the DSA. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a member. Uh, is she a member? Yeah. She's, a, she's a member of the Democratic Party, too? Yeah. It's no, not, it's not a party. It's an organization. So Sorry. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Okay, fine. Start a party. <laughs> fine. Start a party. <laughs> well, Go ahead. Well, there's a very but high, I believe very high that like that this happen. notion that like, okay, if we just, I mean, like Bernie Sanders, I don't think he's like, he's not really a Democrat. I mean, he caucuses was, with Democrats. Was Trump a Republican? What? No, he wasn't a Republican. And like the establishment tried their best. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of reasons why they fail to do that, but that's what parties do. But that's not and really getting an people to, the question, to endorse you. Right? But no, getting people to endorse you is not cheating. Yeah, no. Getting people to understand that it's coming down to a binary choice at this point is not cheating. But but we're talking about party operatives, people within the party, leadership, prominent Democrats who are applying pressure to candidates and trying to coordinate yeah, that's their called, actions. I say that's, that's to disadvantage that is, Bernie Sanders. Is that unfair? That's politics. That's, and and here's where. I want to say that, you know, the Bernie crowd did not start this. This really starts with Donald Trump when he says in the last debate with Hillary Clinton, I don't know if I will accept the results of the election. And he's talking about a rigged yes. system. That's super dangerous stuff. Hmm. When you have a lot, millions of people potentially saying that this is not a fair process and not buying into the rules of that process. And we've unfortunately seen a lot of prominent Democratic so-called resistance types uh, trying to you know, delegitimate the 2016 election and calling for all kinds of things. And that these are the rules that we've all pretty much agreed on. And we will not know how much damage we've done to the Republic until we no longer accept those rules. Mm -hmm. So I'm just saying it's dangerous. Bernie's guys are not the first people to do it. It starts with Trump. Unfortunately, Hillary, after she loses, basically kind of continues to do that. She will not say that Trump is a legitimately elected president. Um, we have all these people talking about eliminating the electoral college and everything like that. But I'm saying we agreed on these rules. They're very valuable. It's a boring topic most of the time, but right now it's really important and we should all just basically accept this is how it's done. The thing about Trump to, to Anthony's point is that Trump succeeded. 
I mean, he changed the party. The party is Trump's party now. And mm-hmm. those people that were in the party True. apparatus uh, before have either gotten in line or gone somewhere else. So Bernie can do that, too. And Bernie can also run. Bernie, uh, Bernie can do what, too? Could do that, too. By could change, take over the party? Could, he could. How? Course. I don't think he will. If he but won, if it he would won, be his party. It would be his party. And like, let, hmm. let's see how he handles it then, right? Hmm. Trump's handled it in, in, a, in a way or, you know, his apparatchiks have. I mean, let, Trump is sort of a little disconnected from this. But the MAGA types have done a very good job of kind of reorienting the party towards the MAGA kind of agenda. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, Bernie could easily, easily, you know, take this. You know, he could be the nominee. Yeah. And de- the, the, the DNC could do nothing about it. That said, I, I, I agree with Eli in the sense that. You do not, the, the DNC cannot sit idly by and will not and never has. And don't be, you know, Inspector Reno and be shocked by this stuff happening <laughs> now. Because if there was a candidate who said, you know what, I'm a pro-life Democrat. The, the party is going to do everything in its power to push that person out and find a pro-choice Democrat. Well, I think that that's is, fine. I think that's the thing that actually offends the sensibilities of certainly many Dem- Bernie Sanders support- supporters, but many Democrats who actually believe in absolute democracy. What they want, they want to get rid of the Electoral College because they think, just like Hillary Clinton would have won because she had mm-hmm. the popular vote, mm-hmm. that is the right outcome. And the fact that what we have in this country isn't actually a democracy explicitly and purely is, in some people's opinion, actually a, an egregious injustice. Mm-hmm. Like we, hey, look, we, and you we can make that point, that. and you can actually make a very convincing point on that. In that, in that well, case. I don't, I don't think it's particularly convincing, but it's, a, it's an argument. I'm more on the other side, but I, it, you can make a convincing case. It's just not very convincing when you make it the day after the election. Mm. If you're making it, you know, well, years they, and years, well, you, they, oh, you well, here's a, the thing. At this now point, they do, they've been yeah. making it for a while, and that yeah, is, and that course. is their argument. Well, and, for, I, and from their standpoint, like all of the the engineering of outcomes that the party is engaged in are disconcerting to them. And before everyone exited the race, before we had the super Saturday outcome that was totally in Joe Biden's favor, yeah. the the reporting that we were seeing in publications like the New York Times was that they were going and they were talking to delegates and that the delegates were giving them strong indications that if Bernie came into the convention and he didn't have enough delegates pledged yep. to him that they weren't necessarily going to give him their vote and support. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the extent that was already a strong indication, like a lot of folks like Aaron, who was here last week, just think that is unfair. And Aaron's right about that. It's unfair. But it's also a private organization. Exactly. It's not a public. I mean, this is not public. I mean, I, I look, I would if I was a Bernie supporter, I would be really, really pissed off. Yeah, I'd be really pissed off. But at the same time, you know. When you have a guy, when you, I've never been a member of your club because mm-hmm. I don't like you, and then I'm going to join your club so I can become president, and then it's come down to this thing where, who knows, superdelegates, et cetera, you, you're going to expect them to But be, the superdelegates have that latitude. Those are part, it's of part of the rules. So it's part I of the rules. I, one, I can't accept that it's unfair if it's within bounds and it's in the rules. It, it's only unfair if you accept as a cardinal well, the rule, rule of, you can of say the, you can say the rules the are unfair. The majority ought to win. Sure, you can say the rules are unfair and they should be rewritten. That's yeah. totally fine. I, I, the Bernie people are also absolutely within their rights and 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 right to say this is kind of a shitty rigged process because the American people want this man and you want to stop them. Yeah. I get that. I'd like to make an appeal to the 
fifth column <laughs> listeners, I'm starting a, a new wing of the DSA. It's called the neoliberal <laughs> wing. Yeah. Uh, and we want to try to reform the DSA so they support, uh, you know, broad American uh, kind of imperium. I support that. Uh, and it's going to be Cuts on capital voting. gains taxes yeah. and, uh, you know, just wider privatization agenda. Corrupt them from the It's inside. basically my attempt. And, and I really, and I feel the DSA rules are rigged against me. They're rigged against me. Why doesn't anybody support the pro-Iraq war DSA wing anymore? Oh, my God. Nobody, nobody gives a, nobody yeah, cares about that oh anymore. Anyway. I love that. Just join my new movement. Yeah. Well, there's, there's, I'm running for the leadership of the DSA right now. That's what I'm doing. There's plenty of other Super Tuesday stuff that we it's could talk about. It's called the I'm interested in lots of other aspects of this, but I, I also want to make certain that we get to some other things. Uh, Joe Biden's promise to uh, have a revival of decency and honesty and character um, in the White House, if in fact he wins, I think is a little bit, at least for me, a little bit funny, given that Joe Biden is actually, it, and it seems that pretty much everyone has either forgotten this or is willing to ignore it. He's like a famous liar. It's I all, mean, it's about, you're like also inviting a remarkable liar. You're inviting Donald Trump to come to the first debate wearing a Hunter Biden t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to invite Neil Kinnick to be in the front row. I mean, <laughs> Neil, good for you to be here. Yeah. That that those early runs when he is dogged by charges of dishonesty and actual plagiarism. Like, how no? I well, the plagiarism thing is like is I mean, it is amazing because typically the number of political books written by politicians, quote unquote, that have been plagiarized are like, you can't. I mean, that's why Andrew Kaczynski exists, uh, who's mm-hmm. hilarious and great on these things. Is like, there's a new political book by, you know, it's basically a campaign book and it's plagiarized. Yeah. The thing that was different about that was it was the it's life story. Yeah. But it was a life story. Stories about someone else's It was life. like growing up as a young boy in England. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> and, but, but these tactics haven't, haven't ended. Like he's still, he was still up until recently doing the Nelson Mandela, like I went to see him and I got arrested thing. Yeah. And has walked it back and folks are just kind of fine with it. But it was great. It was like, what was their excuse? It was like, what was his excuse? No, no. The campaign came out with something. It was like, well, in the uh, small airport in Durban, Uh, uh, he did talk to a police officer who was asking for a light or something. It was something so absurd. They said he was separated from his his African-American colleagues briefly. And he called that an arrest. And he's been telling that story for decades. Well, he he has given that explanation himself as well, which Mm. you can imagine in the Joe Biden cadence delivering that defense. It is not particularly credible. He also said Mandela hugged him. Him when uh-huh. he came out of jail and said, thank you for getting arrested for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a story he has also told. When, when Joe Biden was in the Nation of Islam, he, he was on the Malcolm X side of that. So I'm just, anyway. Yeah. Oh my it's a God. long story, yeah. but he well, doesn't have any direct ties to the assassination. <laughs> he did his best to try He to was sh- in that New Jersey mosque a few times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the last thing I'll tee up for you guys, um, at some point in the near future, or at least the not too distant future, if in fact, Biden is triumphant over Sanders, and we'll have to see if that's the case. Yeah. Um, the first potential Trump-Biden showdown wouldn't be until September 29th. But yeah, yeah. March 15th, we actually get a Bernie Sanders-Biden showdown. And is it that, March 15th? Is that what it is? I think it's Sunday, March 15th. March 15th and yeah. Tulsi has two delegates. She may be on the stage, too. Is that right? Yeah, right. she has two delegates. This Burisma is, versus Bolshevism. This actually, <laughs> this, this is very, very yeah. interesting here. Because Joe Biden and for for Eli, whether it's actually signs of his decline at his advanced age, which I'm inclined to think it is, or it's just 
good old Uncle Joe having all of the focus on him mm. and having someone constantly attacking him throughout the night, especially, quite frankly, someone like Bernie Sanders, who actually I think he's is quite good. good at this. He's good at this. Mm-hmm. He's, he's quite good, good at this at because this, the lines period. are simple and yes. straightforward yeah. and he will be relentless. Yeah. Not relentless like Trump would be. Trump yeah. has been teasing the lines that he's of attack that he's going to use against mm-hmm. Joe Biden for a while. It's Burisma Biden. It's sleepy Joe Biden. It's Joe Biden doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what office he's running for. Can he somebody get this? Yeah. Like Joe, he doesn't even know where he is, what he's doing or what office he's running for. Actually, I don't I honestly don't think he knows what office he's running for. And it doesn't matter. You know, maybe he gets in because he's a little more moderate. So maybe he gets in. But he's not going to be running it. Other people are going to. They're going to put him into a home and other people are going to be running the country. And they're going to be super left radical crazy. Yeah, he's doing some version of Joe Biden doesn't know where he is (laughs) since August. He's going to do it on stage standing next to the man the same way he did Hillary. You'd be in jail. He is Heartless. By the way, I, and I don't know how I'll that say works it, out. I'll say it, it again. It's the the best one of the best lines in modern political history. Because <laughs> you know why? It's the physical positioning. Because he he's behind her, like roving, like Phil Donahue with a microphone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, he like, and he puts the microphone up close to his face. Like, you'd be in jail. It's like he's, <laughs> I mean, he's it almost like, a, like, like, it's a, like a Doug Stanhope bit. <laughs> we we yeah. laugh we laugh about it, but I want to talk about what's happening to our politics in a moment. Um, but any thoughts on what this Biden? Sanders possibly Gabbard showdown might look like Eli possibly Gabbard. Well, all right. So I, I think that there's a chance I I've always thought that Bernie was a better general election candidate in some ways than Biden mm-hmm. or I don't know. It's hard. You know, no one can predict anything. Nobody knows nothing. That's Florida, true. William mm-hmm. Golden. Um, but Trump clearly in his gut, wants to run against the deep state, the Washington establishment, who denied him his earned 2016 election and his presidency by tying him up unfairly with all this Russia stuff. And Biden is, you know, kind of the the representative of that Democratic establishment. And in some ways, I think that that's, that's where Trump is more comfortable, because if he has to run against another populist... Then he has to answer uncomfortable questions about Uh why haven't you delivered for the, you know, factory workers in Indiana and things like that. And there I think Bernie does have a pretty good argument, although I think that Trump clearly is also going to say, you know, he's wacky and crazy and he can play any number of clips of other Democrats, uh, you know, attacking Bernie Sanders, you know, sort of making the points that he wants to. But, um, you know, I, I, I... We'll we'll see. I mean, I I think there's a chance that we might be underestimating that, that, you know, Bernie doesn't have the same killer instinct. He's not as much of an asshole as Trump is. Um, And, you know, if you notice, he still says... Joe's a decent guy. He's a good guy. I just think he's wrong on these policies. Yeah, but he was pretty calm on Wednesday. Like on, on Tuesday, yeah. on Tuesday at the rally, he was a bit more intense. No, I, Sanders. He, he was intense and he said one yeah. candidate supported the Iraq war. And I, I get uh-huh. all that. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying that, you know, Trump really does have kind of like he doesn't care. He will destroy yeah. someone. I don't know if Bernie has that in him. And I think there's a chance that that Biden in some ways could could potentially kill Bernie with kindness in the sense that, you know, Joe's a fairly likable old guy. 
and he can disarm him. And that could be very disarming in a debate like that. And we'll see if it works. That's my. I, yeah. I mean, that is the thing that is kind of universally said about him. And I, and I, yeah. from the that stories, he's a likable he's a guy. guy that he's like just a decent at guy. Some point, at some point, though, the, no, do all the foibles make you deeply uncomfortable? Well, I mean, me or everybody and, else. And in anyone. Nobody gives a shit. Nobody cares. <laughs> nobody it's always cares. the case. If that it's nobody Biden cares. versus Trump, are you really going to talk about mental acuity? Yeah. Exactly. Really? Yeah, you're going to be like, oh, oh, actually, oh Biden doesn't know what date is. Actually, look at that. Actually, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. No. You might. Well, but to your point also that Trump's complete obsession with the the why did you screw me over with the Russia stuff? Yeah. The best version of this recently is watching after the election, the call of the was the uh, Tuberville Sessions runoff. Right. And Sessions is up there in the last day. Yeah. And he's like, Tuberville, you know, Auburn coach. He never said anything positive about Trump. He didn't support Trump. I was there from the beginning. I love Donald Trump. He was, and you know, where he's saying it. He's in Alabama. This, this man never said anything positive about Trump, and now he wants to say something positive. I am Mr. Trump. Cut to Donald Trump. That guy's a fucking loser. He's talking yeah, about Sessions. Right. And he's like that, brutalizing him, because it's like you were the man that allowed that to happen. Right. And hopefully we'll get to your commentary piece soon. But you allowed that to happen, and that, to your point, is the Trump killer instinct. And it's what makes him not a, you know, as uh, Hitch once said, beggars the great commuter, which I've told yeah, the story. He's right. like, you know, the guy in the Amtrak who's like, I'm doing it for the working people to Trump, who's a real estate guy from New York, <laughs> who will do anything in his power to, to fillet you. And even when you're saying something nice, you can play that video of Jeff Sessions saying something incredibly nice about Trump. Uh, you know, love him. And he was the best. And then Trump will just turn around and just shiv him. Yeah. And that's the I mean. It, uh, that instinct is what Trump has. I don't know. Uh, can can Sanders turn that on if he's the nominee? I mean, can Biden? I don't know. It's that's the thing is that you have to get to a point where you don't talk about policy anymore because it is actually the case that nobody gives a shit. You over and over again. These this is that was a Warren people. Mm. She had incredible plans. Well, I disagree with that, but let's pretend that's true guys wake up and get the fuck off Twitter and nobody cares about the incredible plans. It's true. They just don't. And so it's going to be, you know, is Trump and like, who are these personalities? Like the, you're going to have, if, the, if it's those three, we get down to these three, right? We have Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden and Donald Trump in various different ways. You're going to have three very big, interesting personalities on stage because Joe is confused, but he's always telling these big stories. He's got this thing that he does and he's likable and the rest of it. And you can dispute that. But it's, you know, people have been saying this about him and it's it's proven to be the case over the years. Bernie Sanders is very simple, but he can, you know, for Bernie to be attacking a, a self-proclaimed billionaire would well, be pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah. Right. That billionaire on stage who might not be a billionaire. I mean, look, I, I, I don't know which way it goes. But I, again, I just warn against um, taking policy proposals too seriously and, and realizing that it's a lot of instinct with people and why they like particular candidates. Well, maybe we transition to the next the next phase of this conversation, because I think there's a lot of really interesting things happening in the country. I think right I'm now. drunk, by the way. Uh, I always like to th throw it down fine. to say. From here Just on out, discount what yeah. I say by about the red 25%. light is on. The red yeah. light is on, yeah. people. I, I'm no uh, longer interesting. Chuck Schumer, 
yeah. threatened to literally going to say Chuck Woolery. murder Supreme Court <laughs> justices um, over the course of the yeah. last couple of days. Sure. Um, there's you know some been a little bit of excitement about it. Said so they won't know what hit them. They won't know what hit them. There's going to be serious consequences because of their actions. Um, the Trump administration is which haven't happened yet. Those actions. Those they haven't happened yet. <laughs> the Supreme Court. Actions. The the Trump administration. Uh, or at least the Trump campaign is suing two U.S. newspapers for libel, um, and that's a pretty astonishing deal. Yeah, and there is and a Devin senator. Back into it. Devin, yeah, Devin. That's, yeah, well, it's one, one of three thousand lawsuits. Devin is suing, is suing everyone. Say his last name. Uh, Nunez. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Devin is suing everyone. Yeah, but, I'm not Matt, who's like. But there's also a like senator, the former president of Portugal. <laughs> but there's also a senator. A United States senator who is actively talking about pursuing an investigation and getting out subpoenas might include the Democratic opponent for president of the United States, the recipients of these subpoenas, I'm saying, um, because we're going to be investigating him. The the notion of sort of our politics being completely weaponized and taking a very serious turn where the institutions are being used mm-hmm. in a way that is ostensibly advantaging particular candidates. Like, it seems like the ship has sailed. Mm, like, yeah. Whatever was happening with the Trump administration, both with respect to Donald Trump saying he wouldn't accept the results of the election and perhaps Eli with respect to the Russia collusion investigation, um, something that you have documented pretty extensively. Um, And in some cases, what appear to be the various excesses, I think it's fair in some respects to call them abuses there. Like all of that presage something that is pretty profound. Like something has happened here that even Camille finds (laughs) a little bit untenable and disconcerting. Yeah. And I don't know how seriously to take it. I don't know how seriously you take Chuck Schumer's comments. Certainly if Donald Trump had said the equivalent, like we would not be able to stop talking about mm-hmm. it. That is for sure. Um, I mean, that doesn't necessarily does mean that. that it isn't. I, don't, I disagree because he says similar things um, all the time and it's become so normal that we don't talk about some of the crazy shit that he says. Does I mean, he say yeah, that? Oh my God. I mean, not particularly uh, about the Supreme Court, but, you know, in general investigations and things like that. I mean, the man is not... I mean, mostly about Hillary. He's been yeah, talking about sending yeah, her to jail for a long exactly. time. Exactly. It's, I mean, it's important to note that Schumer's office walked it back with an ex- explanation that makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. And, and he also yeah. had remarks in uh, Congress Schumer today. Schumer apologized for it, though, right? It is he not really no, an not, apology. Not an apology. What he, what he actually said was that John Roberts, Chief Justice, uh, took... I, I'm going to paraphrase that he took the Republican talking point uh, to interpret Schumer's words literally. When what, <laughs> Sh- when what Schumer yeah. was when what Schumer was actually saying was that he was that the Republican leadership, that the Senate leadership would pay for it at the ballot box. That's not, that's what, he not what he said. Not, not, not even said. close to what he said. But this is the official statement that came out of Schumer's office. Yeah, afterwards. it's, it's yeah. actually insane, and it was not an apology. Mm-hmm. And okay. I mean, and, 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 look, yeah. no, Chris Hayes. Mm-hmm. Vaunted conservative firebrand. <laughs> yes. The man who yep. supported W and loves Donald Trump so much. Yes. Those, that's sarcasm, yes. people. I'm not sarcasm, good at it. Yeah. He has suggested <laughs> that this was beyond the pale. Yeah. Lawrence Tribe <laughs> suggested that it was beyond the pale. <laughs> because it is. It's, it's, it's a little because crazy, it is yeah. an actual threat. Yeah. I mean, but he's not alone. And there's a lot of crazy stuff going on. So, gentlemen, please tell me how much of this stuff 
should I or the rest of our listeners be concerned about? Okay, so a couple Mm -hmm. points. One, judges are human beings. They can die if shot. It's okay to criticize them. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that the line that was crossed is that, you know, you could argue that Trump's criticism of individual judges, uh, which I think is wrong for a president to do, I should say, Mm -hmm. um, encouraged his most rabid supporters to threaten those judges mm-hmm. and does uh, erode the rule of law in an important way, the independence of the judiciary. And that's a fair point to make. But the Senate minority leader threatened sup- two Supreme Court judges by name. That we, let's just, That's what happened. And he was, I think, rightfully rebuked by the chief justice of the Supreme Court and it was an enormous political error, whatever you want to say, because one of and the... And keep in mind how rare that is. Yeah, that, it, it's, that super, it's, yeah. it's super rare. And it's an enormous political error because one of the arguments that Democrats, I think, are making uh, is that Trump is eroding and a threat to the rule of law. And here you have, you know, one of the leaders of the Democratic Party doing just that. So it is, I think, um, an enormous problem. And, you know, good for Chris Hayes, by the way. I mean, I think Chris Hayes... Uh, because I saw a lot of other Democrats, and I'm sure everybody else did on Twitter, who were trying to sort of wish this away and attacking Roberts and all this other stuff, saying, oh, it's completely like, – you're, you're a Republican hack and all this other stuff. Um, Chris is a pretty straight shooter, by the way. I, I, I agree. I'm saying good yeah, for him. Yeah. I mean, that was I – mean, I agree. I disagree with him on a lot, but he's I, a I disagree with him a lot, too. I'm just saying that this – that was that, – it's important, and I think that this is where, you know, journalists – journalism – we show the importance of the fourth estate because we have to, in some ways, you know, some, it's a cliche to say we call balls and strikes, mm. but this is one of those areas where you have to call balls and strikes and say, this is completely over the line and Chuck Schumer shouldn't have done it. That said, I think we can also acknowledge that it was a rhetorical flourish in the middle of a political rally and that he's yes. not really threatening the justices. Yeah, I, that's also, and, part, yeah. But that, yeah. that still doesn't make it okay. And it's still okay to say that it, it, it crossed the line on uh, the Schumer issue. But yeah, you're right. In the broader question that you've raised, that's exactly the right one. Institutions which we're supposed to trust as being above partisanship have become incredibly partisan. And that really does start after Trump is elected and specifically with the Russia investigation. And we saw institutions fail, starting with the FBI. Even before he was elected, actually. Well, in some ways, but I'm saying after the election is when we really started to see these abuses come to to the fore. And... uh, I think the Burisma investigation of Ron Johnson, because uh, we already know a lot about it, actually, mm-hmm. um, is misguided. But for Democrats to complain about it is hilarious. I think there's two things, and I want to get I mean, your I mean, opinion look on at this. Adam Schiff. I mean, if you if yeah, you can't call those true. both out, then what's wrong? Yeah, with I, I, but there's uh, a question for both of you: is to separate these two things, and they're often conflated. That I think it's probably undeniable at this point that the polarization in American politics is kind of at, you know, a peak um, when you look at, at numbers over the past sort of 20, 30 years. Yeah, the quest- Re- recent history. Recent history. Yeah, but the question is to separate that out in, say, do these attacks on institutions and this the horror show when it comes to the FBI, and we can talk about Eli's piece on that, which is very, mm-hmm. very good. Absolutely. Um, is uh, And I want to talk about the people who disagreed with you, who are friends of yours, um, that, not even by name, but just uh, ask no, that can, question. We can talk about name. Um, but 
I, I'm not sure we apply that to actual government institutions in Washington, D.C. in general, that the same thing is true. Because I think people often have not historical amnesia, because amnesia would suggest they knew something and forgot <laughs> it. They just don't know it, right? Uh -huh. And you have a lot of young people that are in politics now for the first time and sort of energized by the Trump administration in both directions, both pro and, and, and con. And I think they don't really understand the history. I mean, would it... Would the Bernie stuff about Cuba, for instance, or Nicaragua punch a little harder if people remembered or had any sense of what those regimes were? I don't mm -hmm. know. But, you know, I think it is true. I mean, demonstrably so that 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 we're a more divided and partisan country than ever. But is it, in fact, the case? Because I can think of a lot of examples and give me an administration and I can think of an example of massive abuses of power, of government overreach, of, um, you know, people thumbing the scales when it comes to supposedly independent investigations. This is kind of bread and butter stuff, right? I mean, this is what American politics is all about. And it, and, and it ain't beanbag. And we should expect things. Should we hold these people to account in the sense that Eli did? And I want to get Eli right after this is um, uh, kind of pricey of what he wrote about in commentary, um, his FBI piece. But are we truly surprised by this stuff? Yes. Keep an eye on it. Do the investigative work that Eli did and expose it. But this is not something new in American politics. And, and, and also always remember that we're better off than a lot of other countries that one would think that we're kind of comparable where the types of scandals or the fact that they, there's no protections whatsoever against sort of individual liberties in so many cases, that this is kind of normal in kind of global politics. And it's usually a thousand times worse. I mean, before I came up here, this is, a, this is not a good comparison because it's Turkey, but there was a great brawl in Turkish parliament. Did you see that? Oh, no. Oh, my God, it was brutal. It was uh, there, there's somebody in the opposition party uh, uh, criticized Erdogan for uh, uh, endangering Turkish troops uh, in uh, Syria and Iraq, obviously, with 33, 36 were killed the other day. But there was a full scale, like, like not like it was it was like the time that Terry O'Reilly from the Bruins went into the crowd <laughs> in the Rangers uh, in like beating up guys. It was like, like Ron Artest at the palace. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It was, it was banana stuff. Thank you for that. Amy. And I, I think needed that, that I think because <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking yeah, about. Yeah. But that's, that's the white people thing is the hockey, but that's the, um, wow. <laughs> but that's, um, <laughs> that's true. It's just a lame sport. Go yeah. ahead. Oh, come on. Oh, that's horrible geez. and stupid. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think imagine if there was a brawl as there is in, like Ukraine and the Duma and all these places. Um, Korea, by the way, that's MMA as politics. Um, if we, one of those, I think, would probably shut down the government and be like, we have to reassess what's going on. I mean, I'm kind of joking, but in the same sense, it's like, is it as crazy and bad as we think it is? Eli Lake. Well, I, mean, I think that we had a period where the FBI uh, was not... I mean, it's partisanship is different, I yes. think, than because I, I, my assessment is that uh, and I and I really diverge from the MAGA crowd in this and that in July of 2016, it was totally legitimate for the FBI's counterintelligence division to open an investigation yes. into four Trump uh, campaign advisors. I'm uh, actually I'm actually fine with that conclusion. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that I, assertion is... is but you make in your piece. And I say that outright. Yeah. Um, and tell everybody, by the way, quickly where you can find this piece that you'll be referencing. It is at Commentary Magazine. You can find it online. Yeah. Um, it's 
It's called the FBI scandal. It's very long, so it's also it's also worth it. Pour it's yourself, really good, by well, the way. Thank we'll, you very we'll, much. We'll, Pour really, yourself really some good. angels envy. And, uh, you know, sit down with it. It'll take a while. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> Grab a Calvados. Yeah. Sit in your chair. Grab some Calvados. Yeah, some yeah. Angel's Envy, which we're drinking tonight. Yeah. Which I have to say is delicious. Thank you, Toto. Um, thank you. Thank you, Toto. Hold the line. <laughs> it's an obscure <laughs> reference there. Again, a deep cut. Yeah, a uh, deep cut. Um, so, because the FBI, and I, I kind of have this, this is a, a flippant way of saying it. We want counterintelligence officers to be a little on the paranoid side. Yeah. That's kind of the personality type that is brought to that. And there were lots of good reasons to raise a lot of questions about some of the people around Donald Trump, including people that, you know, I've known for a long time, like Mike Flynn. He appeared on RT, which is the Russia propaganda network. Uh, Carter Page was. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on. Let's let's restate that. He didn't appear on RT. No, he went to the gala. The gala. Sat at Putin's table. Yes. And yes, he informed you know, his old, he was a, the former Defense Intelligence Agency director, and he informed the Defense <laughs> Intelligence Agency about this. But the point is, is that you can go through the list. Carter Page, who a lot of people, you know, have read a lot, a lot about, he travels to Moscow. If you read his writings, he sounds very, very sympathetic to Putin's point of view. And he is a, an advisor, according to Donald Trump himself, mm-hmm. on the campaign and foreign policy. Um, and by the way, just to, to, to reiterate your point is that mm. it is very curious and you're somebody who covers national security. Yeah. Is it not for the head of the former head of the DIA who was fired by the Obama administration to be at a table with Vladimir Putin at a gala in Moscow for RT? Kind of kind of weird. It is. I would right? say that somewhat muddying the waters on that is that 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 Flynn not only briefed his old agency about it before he left. He also came back and briefed them about it afterwards. But yes, it is. A propaganda victory for Putin to have a guy like Mike Flynn at his table. Was he paid for that, by the way? He was. Mm-hmm. Okay. I mean, he wasn't paid. An I, mean, I kind of knew he was. He wasn't but paid an enormous sum, but he was paid for that. Yeah. Um, and all of that is, uh, you know, kind of worthy of suspicion. In As a general rule, where it crosses the line is where the investigation itself becomes a political weapon. It becomes a matter of sort of the public debate. And that right there is really what happens after Trump is elected. But then there's another thing that I think really does add to this question of the of kind of allowing the partisanship to enter into the FBI. And that is that um, the Hillary Clinton campaign paid for an opposition research dossier by a former British spy uh, named Christopher Steele. And the Steele dossier, we now know, although a lot of people kind of suspected at the time, was just pure crap. It made a lot of allegations. This stuff, some of which were true, right? Well, a few. I mean, enough for people that that defend the Steele dossier to say there's a few true things in here. Well, according to uh, the Horowitz, who is the Inspector General of the Justice Department, for the purposes of at least, I mean, well, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Most of it was not true. The most most explosive allegations were never proven. Uh, It's true. Carter Page traveled to Moscow. It's not true that he met. He was offered, you know almost 20% of Rosneft in exchange for relaxing sanctions if mm-hmm. uh, Trump was elected president. And then Michael Cohen traveling to but, Prague. We right. never, never, yeah. never. Despite can, the fact that a news agency, I believe you once worked for, did write something supposedly confirming this. McClatchy? Yeah. I never worked for McClatchy. Oh, I thought you did. No, no. I was not a McClatchy guy, but. Oh, because you were pro-Iraq war. <laughs> I was on the other side of that one. It's true. Were, no, where were you? UPI. You were at UPI. Did UPI? Yes, I was at UPI. Okay, that's um, what I confused it with. Okay. Um, but there was a P-tape. 
No, there was. I mean, sarcasm. there's that right yeah. sarcasm. Sarcasm. Yeah. Sorry, right. people. Anyway, so that so <laughs> it's one thing if the dossier becomes a kind of you know matter of political speculation. It's another thing when the FBI uses that as evidence in a in a in a surveillance warrant went to a secret court. Fines and up. also, the, it, we we know that it played an important role in sort of keeping the investigation into the Trump campaign going. Mm-hmm. And what's even worse than that, uh, and again, I'm, I'm relying on the inspector general's report. This is not just, you know, my opinion. Mm-hmm. But what was worse than all of that is that the FBI began to have significant doubts about the veracity of this document, you know, pretty much like a month and a half, two months after uh, they used it in this in this uh, surveillance warrant, and it was kept alive. And 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 when the leadership of the FBI was asked about this in congressional testimony, they said it's an ongoing investigation. Wouldn't answer questions about the Steele dossier. Adam Schiff, who was the ranking member at the time and now is the chairman of the intelligence community, read most of these allegations into the congressional record and act as if there was something to it. People took that to mean because he has access to state secrets that there mm-hmm. must be something to it. And that's really where we saw, in my view, a, a terrible kind of abuse of power, because I believe that I think it's fair to say the Steele dossier really was the kind of original document that provides the, the sort of skeleton of this narrative of Trump uh, and the campaign colluding with Russia. And quickly, I just want to interject yeah. uh, here and just say, um, while you pour another glass of whiskey, is that um, I have to say that. An apology, in a way, is an order uh, mm-hmm. from myself because I was wrong about this, and I was—I don't remember what I said, but I remember the kind of broad strokes of it. And what you said about Adam Schiff, his access to secret intelligence, this stuff is clearly on level. Something must be here. Where there's smoke, there's fire. Uh-huh. I said something similar to that at the time, and you know, being involved in some way um, journalism and, and political journalism is about learning these kind of lessons. And you be, you kind of want the story to be true because I disliked the Trump administration so much. And I'm rather hawkish on, uh, on the Putin administration. Too, as am I. As are you. And I think on this podcast, I was, I think the harshest word I could use about myself is credulous. Mm-hmm. And I made a huge mistake. And I become more skeptical of government institutions as these sorts of things happen. And that's the kind of long-term damage these people do to themselves is that I made a huge error in believing that this stuff was going forward and that the FISA court, you know, wasn't rubber stamping in the way that people like Glenn Greenwald and people like that said, and in conservatives in particular who defended the FISA court and the Bush administration and saying, well, you know, this is the mechanism and don't, despite the fact that they rubber stamp 99% of the things that come come before it, that, you know, it's probably on the level. Yeah, we were told that that's a dubious stat. It's you a, can't, you can't trust that you stat. You can't trust that stat, but, but it, was, it was a little, um, little loose in the, in, in the stand and the rubber stamping of these things. So we're told, but I made a fucking enormous error in saying there's gotta be something here. Cause I trusted that the FBI was a professional organization that would never do things like this. And then I read your piece and I see these news stories before reading your piece, but I hadn't actually seen it in context. This is why Eli's piece is so important mm. is getting it in that order, in that context, particularly when you see people are actually modifying emails 
in changing them yeah. to uh, support you inclusion. People, you say FBI agents. In FBI agents. FBI lawyers. What's his name? Klein, well, it's, it's, yeah. Kevin, uh, Klein first? Klein Smith. Klein Smith, I yeah. I'm not, yeah. Uh, which, which is like remarkable. Is, is Klein Smith still employed? I, I think he is uh, under, I mean, I think there's, there is an investigation into him. Hmm. Which, I mean, we'll bring up to one of the topics later, which is, I think, gets into the whole Pfizer issue of reauthorization. But just sort of get back to this. The issue here is, I think, to your credit, Michael, I may defend you, you also acknowledged early on that the first months of the Trump administration did not appear to appease Vladimir Putin. Uh, No, they didn't. Mm -hmm. And you said that early on, which, by the way, to this day... I was expecting that it would. Me too. First of all, I I, I don't want to make myself seem like I'm... I I believe that there was something to it as well. One of the reasons I believe there was something to it is because Trump has this problem. Um, I guess, you know, my, my, my grandmother used to say he's a fucking liar. <laughs> and, um, anyway. I thought it was going to be in Yiddish or yeah, something. Yeah. No, no. He's a sugar and a liar. Anyway, um, anyway like. Good old grandma. Said, my bubby. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the problem, he lied about all this stuff too, which makes it seem like he was guilty. Mm-hmm. And what we now know, but it was hard to know at the time, was that when he was telling. You know, when he was writing the press statement that totally BSed about this non-eventful and totally insignificant meeting at Trump, Trump Tower, Tower, which meeting. we obsessed yeah. about. I was my first meeting. one of my first appearances on the fifth column where we were all talking about Don's Jr.'s email. I love it yeah. and everything like that. <laughs> it made it seem like well, there was mu- there was must be something much more to this, yeah. because why would the president dictate something mm-hmm. that wasn't true? Mm-hmm. Well, now we know the answer. The president of the United States is estranged from the truth. Mm-hmm. He just lies about everything. That's a great phrase. And it is not, and it's not evidence that he's trying to cover something up about Russia collusion. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not trying to give anybody a pass here, but I'm just saying that it's understandable when you've got, on the one hand, the president who you really, if you have any kind of critical faculties, it's hard to believe anything he says. And then you have the FBI, which we've, you know, it's hard. I didn't buy into the Greenwald theory either. So I don't want to I'm sort of in the Moynihan camp. I mean, I believe, hey, I mean, if the FBI says there is something worth investigating, then that's pretty serious. Yeah, that was my view as well in 2017. And that's why I think it's very important that the scandal and, you know, my piece is from a couple months ago now, but that's why it's important to pay close attention to it, because what does this really damage mm-hmm. by getting into this question and sort of acknowledging in my view, what a huge scandal and that Comey and McCabe, who is still Comey is still a columnist for The Washington Post. Andrew McCabe is still a contributor at CNN. The media as sort of the elite media in general still regards them as credible sources, as credible analysts at this point. This is a huge problem that is going to really, I think, lead to an even greater disaster, which is that I think we're going to lose credibility and legitimacy, not only for the FBI, but for the incredibly serious threat that Russia poses to the world right now, because I'm of the view that Russia really is a major threat. If you want to take that threat seriously, you have to come to terms with the fact that this was completely overstated hyperbole and BS, and that in some ways was stoked, in lots of ways it was stoked, by uh, dishonest corner cutters at the FBI, starting with the leadership and on down. 
And you know, it's funny. That's why I kind of yeah. feel like I'm the last. I'm like I'm a real Russia hawk, and the people <laughs> at Lawfare who are trying to explain this away are the fake Russia hawks. But but aren't they? But aren't they the people at Lawfare, the folks who are explaining this away, the members of the media broadly? I mean, it has been explained away. I mean, the thing is that you're writing a, your piece. The conclusion of it is this is a big deal. It suggests that something went horribly wrong, and we really need to examine what happened at the FBI. It's and undeniable really if it was uh, if, critically if it was, about what's happened to the media. If it was against and, somebody else, it would be a different And the response, reason you had sure. to write this, Eli, and the reason why it's important for people to read this is because we're not actually having this conversation. Like for the most part, there isn't a lot of deep introspection about how the media got this wrong and failed to be significantly uh, subs- and failed to be appropriately skeptical of certain things. Or well, it's not even about skeptical. Which, it's just it's okay that in the moment, as I said, the dynamics were totally weird. We weren't there. If you in the moment, you were like, well, you know, if the FBI, if the FBI director is telling. Congress in 2017, there's an open investigation. There might be something there. That's fine. But when you learn all of this stuff, then there needs to be a kind of reassessment of these things. And there's but that's, been but that's what I'm saying. That reassessment isn't right. happening. So and it so hasn't then what, happened. So then, are you? So why be concerned about folks not taking Russia seriously enough? They, they're they're desperate to believe these narratives, and they are still at this point buying into, I think, ridiculous hyperventilation and in some cases explicitly overstated um, intelligence conclusions about Russia trying to help the Trump administration and the Sanders campaign I think so many people to are, win elections. Yeah. Those are yeah. dominant narratives well, that have been parroted by every single yeah, major yeah, media course. organization in the country at this point and that are wholeheartedly believed in uh-huh. by members of the elite media and by everyone who generally hates the president of the United States and wants to believe that there was some sort and gener- of and generally and generally hates the the expansion of like FBI power. For well, instance. They, they did before. Well, exactly. I don't know. if they this, still the, do. the thing is, is people there's this binary view in, 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 in politics, particularly in an age where you're going to get set on fire and Twitter and being, you know, one or the other. You know, you're the good guy or the bad guy is that Donald Trump is a vulgar liar. And he has done horrible things. And in, in the, in particularly in the campaign, if you were somebody that was watching from Estonia and saying, like, yeah, I don't care if they march into Tallinn. NATO's obsolete. What's that? There are people that were concerned about that. As and well the, they should have been. And as well they should have been. Yeah. But just because Donald Trump is a vulgar congenital liar does not mean that, and I think this is people take leave of their senses, why we give credit to Chris Hayes. We give credit to Chris Hayes tonight because he he said something totally sensible. That was not uh, you know beneficial to somebody nominally on his side, and we give credit to Lawrence Tribe for doing the same thing. Who's a constitutional law professor at Harvard. One would presume that he would he would you know stake out this position. But we're so used to people being in their little bubble that we're surprised by it, and it shouldn't be And I shouldn't be scared. Nobody should be scared to say the FBI stuff that Eli wrote about. Is alarming. Mm-hmm. It means nothing about Donald Trump himself being alarming. And I think the reason that I was credulous on this, it reminds me actually of a friend who shall remain nameless, who wrote um, skeptically about um, climate change in the 90s, said it's, it's a hoax, it's a lie, whatever, and now is very much on the other side and said this is a, a big problem. And when I asked him what 
made you think that in the nines with the data, you say, well, yeah, the data wasn't there. But I had so many years of people hyperventilating about certain things that I just stopped believing everything. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of my uh, perspective on the FBI stuff, is that there is so much conspiracy theory over the years about the what the Trump administration and people on the right would call the deep state and people on the left would say this is what happened in the church commission and, and the FBI is everywhere and Hoover is everywhere and they're finding reds under the bed. And in the overstatement of these conspiracies that they're there in this partisan way in like, you know, the machinations behind the screen. I, I just like, you know, I've seen so much of that stuff that wasn't true mm-hmm. that I assume that in this case, too, that there was something there. And I realize that that is a risky proposition to say that because people have been conspiracy theorists in the past about these things, uh-huh. that there's not a, not a conspiracy is a, a too strong of a word. But I'll end with a question to Eli. Reading this piece and the, the, the question you ask yourself and you see, you know, Anthony was talking about at CPAC, the struck uh, fucking play that that uh, was supposed to be a comedy uh, that I'm sure was hilarious. That's sarcasm too, people. Uh, do you believe that this was partisan, Eli? That the, the people were doing this, or was it something that people in the FBI love the kind of intrigue and the investigation, and they're following this because you know they're following the the money to Moscow, and there's something kind of sexy about it um, in a John Le Carre way. But you know, it turned out to be nothing. They were they were, or was it they just wanted to get rid of Donald Trump, and they they they, they thought they could do that through an investigation? I don't. Because that's think, what Republicans would say. I don't think that the FBI people were necessarily motivated because they wanted to save Obamacare or, (laughs) you know, they, they, they wanted, you know, they, they wanted to make sure Ruth Bader Ginsburg's replacement on the Supreme court was another liberal justice. That's so that definition of partisanship is just not there. I do think that if you looked at what Donald Trump was saying in the campaign about these sorts of things, you looked at the kind of people who were around him, including yeah. Paul Manafort, who I wrote about at the time and is a total sleazebag. And you looked yeah. at all those kinds of connections. I think that there were legitimate and fair questions. And they were I think that what they believed was there's that this guy is dirty. There has to be something there and we will bend the rules in order to get him. Hmm. Which and is something that law enforcement does on all local the, levels. All on big the levels. time. Yeah. All that the time. is a but even, classic story. They yeah, never... Yeah. Even they admit there, to themselves, but isn't I'm a bad guy, I'm corrupt. Yeah, they always yeah. say we're doing it for a better cause. But you're bending the rules in order to get him because of the presumption that there's something to be found. You haven't Absolutely. found it yet, but there's the presumption that there's something to be found. And I'm saying that found. I think that Donald Trump in some ways gave them a lot of 100% material to do it. I mean, well, the, Paul the, Manafort's running your fucking campaign. Like, for briefly. <laughs> for a little. Briefly. They, they got him out, yeah, right. but they find a black ledger and they're like, I, we should talk. So, <laughs> I think the problem was, is that in the hands of Democrats who were stunned by this defeat, and this is a different thing than the FBI, in uh-huh. the hands of the Democrats, when they get this information, they realize we're now part of a resistance. And when you say you're in a resistance, it means that you are willing to violate norms and rules and the traditional sort of, you know, meth- ways in which we regulate our politics, because this is such a unique threat to the republic. When that mm-hmm. happens, then the Russia story becomes very convenient for the people responsible for the political calamity of Hillary Clinton's campaign. Mm-hmm. Because the truth, the ground truth is, Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. 
She did not connect. She did not understand the populist sentiment. She didn't understand that a lot of the things that she was trying to sell were not connecting with traditionally Democratic voters. She didn't go to Wisconsin. We know the whole story. There was a lot of political malpractice. The easiest way to shift the blame from your own screw ups is to say it's not my fault. It's the Kremlin's fault. Yes. And so this is creating a kind of perfect storm. And unfortunately, the FBI, I think, basically allowed themselves in a lot of ways. Comey allowed himself to become this political partisan, particularly since Comey is in some ways responsible for Hillary Clinton losing by reopening the question of her emails at the very end of the 2016 campaign. So I don't think Comey himself is this Democratic partisan necessarily. I think he is horrified and disgusted by Trump, and I think he hates him. But at the same time, I think it's all of these two things. It's a more nuanced view mm-hmm. um, in terms of the question of partisanship. Some of the people were really partisans. This Kleinsmith guy, he's obviously a partisan. We know from his text, you know, he's like all the accomplishments in the last eight years are, you know, going to go away. Um, so he but is it's a also it's also yeah. the page and struck stuff. You, you see yeah. Republicans overplaying their hand dramatically yeah. when you have text between two people, which some of which are clearly joking, some of which are clearly hyperbolic and, you know, God, God forbid they ever get a hold of my text. <laughs> like, you know, yeah. It's like, you know, they, you can make somebody into like, Oh, what was the, what was the thing that they got crazy about the, um, there was, well, there was one where you could, I was just near plan. in Trump country. I could smell them. No, it was the contingency. The, it was like, contingency just, plan. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, you read that in context. You're like, please come on guys. Yeah. Come okay. On. on on the other hand, I do think um, there is a point to make that you you don't want those people in. Ch- if if that is your sentiment, you should not be in charge of something like counterintelligence. Sure, that's a fair point. Not really, it's a mild point. Well, it's well, not as strong least, as at people least say with this with this it, particular case. But what, this, if, what if we have right. somebody that that is very good at this and is a lifelong practitioner of it? They know the ins and outs of it. They're they're you know they're the person you want to to sort of sniff out the stuff. And they happen to have very strong political. Beliefs. But they hate the subject of the investigation. I think that's yeah. The, but hold on. But I, I would I would point but out everybody. That the, it's a thing that everybody has an opinion on. The, har- the Harris report you. actually kind yeah. of refutes like the partisanship line because there were there were people who. At various points in this process, FBI lawyers yeah. are saying, hey, could we get some more information on this? When yeah. they originally wanted a FISA warrant on Carter Page, they said, no, you don't have enough evidence. And that's when they came up with the dossier and stuff like that. So there were people who were trying to follow the process. My, the point is, is that the rules that existed were the, the thumb on the scale. That's the problem. The thumb on the scale was there. I think that people were motivated because they really believed that Trump was this unique threat. And weirdly... Uh, and we have to acknowledge this. In my view, and this will, you know, a lot of the resistance types have, you know, chastised me on Twitter for saying this. I think that Trump's policy on Russia has been fairly tough, with the exception of his own rhetoric, the actual policies, if you go through the list, pretty tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, getting 53, 54 countries to recognize Juan Guaido as the legitimate president of Venezuela is not a favor to Putin. Killing Qasem Soleimani, not a favor to Putin. Mm-hmm. Uh, can, you know, having an effort to try to get Germany to cancel its plan for a second pipeline for natural gas to Russia, not good for Putin. And the Syria policy could and be the, much more generous to Putin if, if, if we wanted it to be. It could be much more generous. I mean, so it's not perfect, yeah. and you can, you, can, you can find this and that, but it is not the sellout that people imagine as sort of grand bargain. Um, and I don't believe this argument that, well, in a second term, I mean, like, 
come on, that's the plan that the, we're going to we're going to get Trump elected and then he's going to win a second term and then we'll get the big payoff. Mm-hmm. That just seems crazy to me. Um, so in that respect, I don't see this kind of corrupt bargain. But all of that said, I mean, I understand. And if this had just remained in the sort of black box of counterintelligence, it really wouldn't be the scandal. To me, the scandal is always that it became a matter of that dominated our political discussion. Well, there's two two things I want to I want to ask about quickly. Um, The first might be a very quick question. But with respect to the the election interference, um, you had the actual sort of spending on ads and the ads that were created. And I think. There is a, a broad sensibility that it's kind of silly, like that didn't sway the election. But there are some people who say, well, what about all of the emails? And with respect to the stolen emails that mm-hmm. were handed off to WikiLeaks, mm-hmm. of all of that, those emails, isn't it the case that the most scintillating details to come out of all of that were like the Donna Brazil CNN question email? And the Podesta emails about some weird dinner that he had. There wasn't anything yeah, there's particularly not the, emails, the Podesta ones, yeah. right? Yeah. But there wasn't anything particularly crazy in those uh, emails themselves. So there was some pretty bad stuff. Was there two things that I thought were pretty bad? One was remember the first email dump right on the eve of the Democratic convention. Uh-huh, uh-huh pretty much indicts Debbie Wasserman Schultz as putting uh, her yeah, thumb on the scale right. sure. against Bernie mm-hmm. yes. and going into an election. You want to unify the party, and that made it very difficult to do and, so. And the Bernieites were not particularly satisfied. As well they should. That. I mean, I understand <laughs> they, they were upset. Were upset. Yeah. Going back to our earlier yeah. conversation, serves you right. He's a democratic socialist. <laughs> Good but point. Yeah. Anyway, Good point. that's my that's – my, and then the second thing I think, which didn't get as much attention, but there was – there were pretty damning emails regarding uh, something called Tenio, which was this um, consulting group, and just the total – quid pro quo corruption of the Clinton Foundation and Chelsea Clinton objecting to some of that sleaziness. I don't know if that swayed any votes, but I noticed it and I thought that was pretty bad. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would just say that publishing the private emails of the chairman of your campaign and the Democratic National Committee is horrendous. That is uh, something that we should protect against, even if it was a low tech hack that, you know, was done because John John Podesta is somebody who doesn't practice very good cybersecurity, obviously. You're such a neocon <laughs> that you called him John Podar. I know. <laughs> John Podar also probably doesn't no. practice great cybersecurity either. Shots um, fired. Yeah, Shots anyway, fired. Anyway, fishing I'm attack a huge tonight. J-Pod fan, the editor Nigerian of prince could get John Podar. Um, Go anyway. after him. Nigeria, but, but, if you're listening. <laughs> no, no, but my, my point is that that, I think, is different than, like, of all of the, I mean, like, the, the part that really, and you've pointed this out on, the, on, on this podcast, Camille, I mean, and you've I believe are totally right. It's generally true. Which is that, like, the amount of Facebook ads that the Russians purchased, yeah, in comparison to the to the BS Facebook ads everybody else is purchasing, I mean, yeah. it's like the internet is filled with lots of disinformation. Well, well, yeah. The analysis of the click-through rates are pretty it, it, crazy. It, it, Politico too. did a thing where it was click-through, yeah. and it was, like, so low that I was so like, pathetic. I think they got the numbers wrong. Because <laughs> <laughs> this can't be this low. It's bad. Right. But the thing is, is that we, you can't con- contemporaneously reassess this stuff because everyone has, you know, skin in the game, and they want Trump to be impeached or to lose, and they want their guys to win. But if you look back at accusations in the past, they have to do with Russia, which mm-hmm. is always, you know, a, a kind of healthy 
and sensible comparison, which are taught in American schools and is in the American psyche as one of the great overreactions by the FBI and by the American government and by everybody who in Congress, you know, the HUAC types and um, McCarthy types, which are separate, by the way. McCarthy was a senator, not in the House. House is HUAC is the House is the first age. Is HUAC was more accurate well, McCarthy uh, by a lot. By, by the way, uh, Hueck was started to investigate. Is, yeah. to, well, it was started to investigate Nazis. Yeah. It was an anti-fascist thing in the late 1930s to, to, to investigate fascist influence. So the funny thing about that is you look at the stuff, the Russia evidence, and what it is. And I keep on wanting more because I like a good spy story. I like to see, oh, yeah, that's what it is. And, you know, I want to, like, read the novel about this. But novel it shall remain because it, nothing. Alger Hiss, you just mentioned Alger Hiss. Here's the thing about Alger Hiss. He went to Yalta. He was with the Roosevelt administration in Yalta. Yalta was the great betrayal that everyone said there's a lot of complications in this. I'm not sure that I believe this as such. That gave away Eastern Europe to Russia. That is what people suspected Donald Trump would do, whether it was Ukraine. Or that was, we actually have a version of somebody who was a Soviet spy working within the State Department who was at Yalta when they gave away the fucking farm. We look back at this stuff now as one of the great hyperventilations in American political history. Did we look it, at Alger Hiss that way? Uh, or the- sure, for sure. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, uh, when he stopped being a name that was in the popular discourse, he was a, a man who was wronged. Now people don't really remember NYU probably 15, 10, 15 years ago. I just want to say, I'm, I'm, his chair I'm, in, I'm a Whitaker yeah. Chambers man. Yeah, yeah I'm more of a Chambers yeah, man. I'm, I'm a, yeah, yeah anyway. I'm a witness guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the pumpkin patch. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, old pumpkin papers lake. Yeah. Uh, but like, you know, you actually have real evidence back then. Real evidence. The guy's at Yelton. He's a Soviet spy. Yeah. The Rosenbergs, et cetera. By the way, the funniest thing, my daughter and I were going to her school today, and she had a book about Martin Luther King uh, that she, she has from school she's reading, and it was written by Joyce Milton. Hmm. And I looked in the back, I was like, oh my God, really? And I looked in the back, and it's a kid's book, and it says Joyce Milton is uh, the author, the co-author of the uh, popular, uh, well-regarded book, The Rosenberg File, which she wrote with Ron Radosh. So my daughter is reading uh, a, a kid's book by the woman who wrote The Rosenberg File with Ron Radosh that actually in the 1970s got Ron basically expelled from the left and uh, proved that the Rosenbergs we were love spies. Ron. So anyway. Well, I want to get away from this in a minute, but there was a second question, and I want to try to ask it really quickly. Eli, earlier when you were talking about the stakes here with respect to the Russia investigation, you suggested that part of your concern is that unless we really take into account the lessons that ought to be derived from this cock-up, we might not take the circumstances with Russia as seriously as we need to, and perhaps there are other things. But I'm wondering about the the kind of error, because the point I was trying to raise earlier was it doesn't seem to me that we're running any real material risk of understating the risk from Russia. If anything, the current political moment suggests that we are likely to overstate it and perhaps overindulge uh, our own paranoia about what the Russians are doing and what they're capable of. And if, in fact, there are errors that go unaddressed with respect to the various kinds of abuses that took place or the kind of errors that are possible, 
in our our polity and in the intelligence community broadly that it's a different kind of error. It's a different kind of sort of systematic error. And it's perhaps a, a, a lot of the same kind of FISA abuses. I know that we're currently in the process, I believe, at last, last time I checked the news, of trying to reauthorize FISA. Right. And the president seemed to be insisting that there ought to be reforms, obviously a consequence of his own experiences here and presumably the influence of folks like Rand Paul and Ted Cruz. Um, But it's not obvious what will happen here, what the outcome will be. It's also the case that various FBI agents who were associated with the, I believe it's the the Page uh, warrant, who were involved in the misconduct, a court ruling today said that those folks are not allowed to submit new applications. Yes. Is that, is that correct? Barack so there, there are some things happening, but I wonder if you could respond to both of those things. One, what you think is likely to happen with the, the FISA situation, whether or not we're actually going to see some sort of material reforms, perhaps it's too early to tell. And two, if we're not really at risk of underplaying the Russian threat, like what other category of concern might there be about what happens with the FBI? What happens to our, our politics broadly if a lot of the things that you highlight in your piece go unaddressed? Okay, so to address the first part of your question, it's true that CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post have continued to raise the alarm about Russia, and I largely agree with them about that. Uh, in the in the general sense, the problem is is that by failing to acknowledge the errors in this process, I believe that they risk. I mean, I don't think that the New York Times and CNN right now are speaking to as like a consensus building, you know, media organization. I think they represent one side of America's politics. The other side of America's politics believes Donald Trump and Breitbart and people who are at the point now where they say we will not reauthorize these sections of FISA unless there we see evidence that there is, you know, legal consequences for the people who are responsible for, uh, you know, this terrible thing that was done to the pres- President Trump. And in that respect, I think we really do risk a legitimacy crisis because one half of the country, or at least, you know, the party that, you know, one political party pretty much now believes that these institutions may not be salvageable. And in that respect, I think it's important in order to win back credibility to acknowledge where the errors are, because that is, that's how reform works. Mm -hmm. That is how reform works. When, when, when you say something really bad happened and now, you know, we're going to address that because if you have a situation, I mean, just to sort of, I mean, this is maybe not an, an, an imprecise example, but when Daryl Gates was the head of the LAPD and for 20 years he said, we don't have a problem with racism with L.A. cops, it led to a legitimacy crisis for the Los Angeles Police Department, which manifested itself in, um, in my view, an unjust verdict that let O.J. Simpson go free. Mm-hmm. OK, um, but that was a long time. Wait, coming. You're saying O.J. did it. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> it's 100%. funny because when, be sure. when I first met uh, Eli, he said Al Cowlings did it. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's an interesting theory. Well, you know, they, they and all he look, said, I've got documents. They all look alike. So well, it's yeah. easy, also, easy mistake to yeah, make. Yeah, yeah. But, but you see what I'm saying? I said that. So there are these tipping points. Uh-huh. And we don't know who's going to win the election in November. But if Trump wins the election in November, mm-hmm. 
I think that there is a real question here of the legitimacy of the FBI and the legitimacy of what I think are well-founded concerns about, uh, you know, Russian predations throughout the world. I think it's more of a problem for Eastern Europe and more of a problem for the former Soviet Union. But all of that said, so as somebody who's sort of on this side of sort of establishment, I think it's very important to kickstart this reform process, but we seem to be incapable of it. I mean, a, another parallel might be, you know, was there really a moment where the mainstream media sort of acknowledged, wow, we were taken for a real ride by this Michael Avenatti guy. Yeah. But that leads to, I think, <laughs> a, millions of Americans Him saying, going to prison, by the way, is oh, the greatest oh, thing that's ever happened fabulous. to America. <laughs> yeah, that's almost as great as Bernie, the way, Bernie you, losing Minnesota. <laughs> I mean, they're, I, I, they're up there for me. I, anyway. I, I get a little com- uncomfortable cheering for any like nonviolent criminal. Like, no, he's one you can cheer for because yeah, on yeah, just look guy. at his Twitter responses Boston. when people are like, you're going gonna to go to prison. And uh, and he was he's just an asshole. Just, I mean, he's an asshole. Like maybe give him a year and then let him out. But he's an asshole. Anyway, but the point is, is that if you if you don't acknowledge these problems, then I think at a certain point you sort of wake up one day and you find yourself that nobody believes you anymore. And that's the danger, because for the most part, I kind of agree with this old, you know, consensus view that Russia is a real problem. It's becoming more aggressive. I think the F- we need an FBI. Um, I am not on the Glenn Greenwald side of that. I do not want to just sort of raise the institution. Can I, but, can I say something quickly yeah. about Glenn Greenwald, yeah. um, who, you know, makes an enormous number of enemies on both the left and the right. Um, I'm totally fascinated by, and we've been talking this for a while, so I just want to, I just want to briefly interrupt to say, cause I think this is interesting is that you have a totally interesting relationship with Glenn Greenwald. I do. Oh, well, you're like the sort of knee plus ultra neocon enemy to Glenn Greenwald. But you guys have an interesting, like, friendly relationship, don't you? Which uh, is often, I mean, yeah. it, it's like a love-hate. Because, <laughs> Friendly-ish. But, but he says nasty things about you, but you also yeah. talk um, and, 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 you know, respect each other. I, I think that when it comes to... Israel, for example, and the Iran deal. Like, you might. Glenn Greenwald is a bit of a Jew baiter. Like, you know, I'm you happy might. to say that. I've said that like in 2015. But yeah. uh, on the other hand, I think that he comes to his views honestly. Hmm. And it's okay to disagree with people. And I'm of, uh, I take a Talmudic view of these things, which is, is hmm. that it is, it is good to have a strong debate. I value people who I really disagree with. It's one of the reasons I, I mean, I think we both became friends because we were two people who actually read Noam Chomsky, even mm. though we despised everything he was saying. But it was important to read somebody who clearly made the arguments that we really disagreed with. I want to know the best. I want to know. I mean, Matt, Matt, uh, Matt says this on your podcast, but mm. I love this expression. I don't want the straw man. I want the steel man. Mm. I mm. want to read the best version of the argument that I disagree with. I'm and that's I'm pretty sure that's actually me and not, not Matt. Just oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, erasing Camille. Camille. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry to erase you. Second most racist thing that's happened to me. Today. Yeah. Um, but I'm always I'm always surprised, by the way, when somebody comes into your apartment and sees some hideous book and says, "Why do you have that?" <laughs> well, how do I know that it's hideous until I fucking read it? You exactly. Idiots? You've I, been told. You've been I'll told. I you you don't need to read it. The best thing that Aaron Mate said, and I think it justified 
all of his, um, you know, horrifying comments <laughs> on Cuba and the rest of it. His revolution is over. Well, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Value is subjective. Value exactly. Is subjective. Up against the wall, motherfucker. <laughs> um, was when, when he said, when he had this kind of mystified look in his face and he said, they're just words. Yeah. Why are people so offa- yeah, upset yeah. about this stuff? And I appreciated that yeah. because I can, yeah. the reason I like Aaron is not because, I mean, I don't hang out with the guy. I mean, I've been a couple times and I mm-hmm. really enjoyed his company, but how do you enjoy the company of somebody who has, in my opinion, such sort of loathsome views on, on a, a certain subjects is that he comes from a place that I often find in our, amongst our kind of coterie of friends, which is not one political uh, perspective, by the way. I mean, I know a lot of people on the left and the right, is that, you know, we enjoy that debate. And I feel that the reason I don't um, contribute very much at all to like Twitter debates anymore is because if you are sort of off the reservation, you know, turn your phone off for a couple of hours because it's going to get nasty and it's not going to get constructive. And, you know, I don't, I, I don't begrudge these, these people like, oh, the Bernie bros. It's like, just turn your fucking phone. Get off Twitter. Mm. I stop whining about yeah. the Bernie bros. Get off fucking Twitter. And Glenn's really smart. I mean, he, and he's, and he's, he, he, I don't, I don't agree with him a lot of the time, but he will make the argument, the best possible argument for his side. And that's, well, it's for his reading. Not, there are not two for the people I often yeah, yeah. disagree with, right? <laughs> yeah. Who I would, and I'm somebody who really enjoys debating, which is funny because we don't do it very much in this show. We have like conversation in this show. But, you know, I've done, you know, sit down interviews that have been fucking brutal and people just want to walk away on the crew because it's like really awkward when it ends. And I've had people walk out on me, et cetera. I like that kind of debate. The two people I would say that I would never be happy about sitting across from one would be Glenn, and the other one, uh, and people get mad at me, is Mehdi Hassan, is a yeah, very, is very, smart very smart guy and yeah. a very good debater, and I disagree with him on a lot of things. And uh, somebody tweeted this the other day, I would expect and I would hope that uh, that CNN uh, or MSNBC, if they were smart, would actually give him Chris Matthews' spot. He's a good broadcaster. Um, he's wrong about everything. Wow. But he's a very, very smart guy. Are we going to talk about Chris Matthews? Yes, I think we should. Well, I, I can't believe that you just suggested that they shouldn't give the show to me the way Matt has been campaigning for. Yeah. Oh, has he? Yeah. Has he? I mean, he's explicitly said that any available cable news slot should be given to Camille so really? that he can have a show called Black he? All Over. I th- oh, he said that on. He yeah. said that on. Yeah. He re- he, and he, you're going the other direction. I'm down with that. You're working against my. Yeah, he's being realistic. It's, I, it's MSNBC. So, I don't. You think know what, Fisher? I don't think <laughs> your racist input yeah. is particularly valuable here. Camille, if Why don't you think a person of agnostic racial affiliation? <laughs> Can't, why can't uh, that person be given a show on MSNBC? I'm agnostic to your agnostic racial affiliation. <laughs> by the way, talking about they, they had Pat Buchanan as the right <laughs> center yeah. uh, voice, and I don't think that you fit those shoes. By the oh, way, God. the reason we're saying this, Camille, is uh, because there isn't an open slot at Blaze TV. <laughs> when one opens oh up, gosh. after Will what do. happened to the John Miller kid, yes. I mean, jeez, yes. what? Who I saw oh, so weird as well. A weirdo, stossel intern. When we were lurking around the Fox building, doing our brilliant show on Fox Business, it's turned into just a weird Twitter Trump psychopath. It's It's weird. He pays the bills, man. He was so 
polite. And the incentives nice are all. I didn't know up anything about his politics. I did Maybe not he find was him, always a I did lunatic. not find him polite at the. Well, he was just he was polite to me. Yeah. He just didn't like you people. Could be. Whatever yeah, that means. Yeah. Um, Not Chris Matthews. Yeah. I want to talk about Chris Matthews. I also want to ask before we get there, because yeah. I'm, I'm afraid to talk about the Chris Matthews thing. I think you guys are going to get yourself in trouble. It's amazing. Um, no. The Afghanistan. Maybe the I should Af- be afraid. <laughs> the Afghanistan peace deal. Um, I read the very oh, first thing I read go. about this. <laughs> here was, we go. This is where Camille David, and Eli go off the David rails. French's time Stop piece. Stop being polite. Start the getting title, real. The <laughs> title of which was President Trump's disgraceful peace deal with the Taliban. Yeah. Disgraceful. Yeah. And Eli, as I read this piece, I thought to myself, you know what? Some of those things do sound really stupid. You leave... And leaving is one thing. Yes. Most Americans want you to leave. They do feel like this is an endless war. They do think it's a mistake to still be there. They don't know what we're fighting for. But when you leave and you make a quote unquote peace deal with the Taliban and you say, you know what? We're going to release all your guys. We're going to do some of that preemptively straight up. And there are effectively a bunch of conditions for the Americans and no real conditions from them except a pledge to do nice things like that and can't who, really who, be who, like, a day later started attacking a day later we <laughs> are bombing yeah. them yeah. yeah we are actively bombing them now because of what has been described as dozens upon dozens of attacks on the from the army. taliban yeah. on the afghan army yeah so already the peace accord has failed and the the afghan government has said that they will not comply with one of the terms of this peace treaty, which is the agreement to give over prisoners immediately. It seems like the Trump administration in perhaps doing, and I will, I'm saying perhaps, and I'm being, I'm being generous to you, Eli, in perhaps doing what most Americans want here by withdrawing has gone about this in the most bizarre and stupid way imaginable. Signing a peace deal with people who are either, completely unwilling to honor the agreement or unable to honor the agreement because Mm -hmm. perhaps the various people who are ostensibly under their control don't give a shit what they've promised to do here. Why would they? So what's going on, Eli? What do you make of this neocon hawk? Well, um, (laughs) if Trump just got up and said, um, I don't really care about this elected government that the U S has fought, you know, for nearly two decades to yep. protect. Yep. Uh, they'll probably lose the Taliban, but we're tired of fighting. So we're leaving in a weird way. I would disagree with that. And I would say it's terrible, but on the other hand, I would respect it because it was honest, but instead, unfortunately people who I like in this administration, like Mike Pompeo and others are forwarding what is a big lie. And the big lie is that this is some sort of an agreement to have the Taliban disassociate with Al-Qaeda, which, by the way, is contained in a secret annex, which is bizarre. So they're secretly disassociating with Al-Qaeda, which is, I mean, doesn't make any sense to me. Um, a secret annex to the to the agreement? Yeah, right. I oh. mean, there's a big fight right now in Congress to, because they want to see the secret. They want to see these secret annexes, which they should, by the way, because the secret annexes contain all the details of the agreement. Um, Perhaps they pledged to help Trump win the election. I mean, whatever. It's just it, it's the whole thing is a, is pretty much <laughs> the a Taliban's fiction. hacking crew. <laughs> it's a fiction. We are placing things on the Facebook. <laughs> it's a fiction. The whole thing is a fiction. It's not the Taliban is not changing anything. Uh, 
the and the the U.S. bent over. I mean, Zal Khalilzad, who is the the, the chief U.S. negotiator, bent over backwards to accommodate them so that who was a hawk on this issue from the beginning. Well, I don't know if he was a hawk. Well, I mean, he was he came in with the Bush administration. He came he came in with the Bush administration, but he's always been suspect in my view. <laughs> Wow. Um, real talk. That's how much of a hug. Zal Khalil, wow. Khalil Zad was responsible for like secret Iran talks on the Iraq stuff. True fact. <laughs> um, anyway. Uh, Bonus episode. Yeah. So the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, instead of having the original demand that the Taliban should. I mean, listen, the way these things normally work. All right. We're going to we're going to stop uh, droning you and bombing you. But you got to acknowledge and recognize that the legitimate government and you can run as a political party. That would be normal, but the Taliban are such fanatics, they will not. They, they never gave up the idea that they were the real government of Afghanistan, and so the U.S. capitulated and they said, "You don't have to negotiate with the Afghan government. You have to negotiate with you know Afghan government plus civil society and these other folks," which watered it down, which which you know continued to sort of delegitimize the Afghan government. They the 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 President Trump, you know, the U.S. president usually calls. The Afghan president, after they win an election, by the way, it's true. Afghan elections are corrupt. Vote stealing happens on both sides. But everybody kind of acknowledged that Ghani won the election. Trump never called. Pompeo issued a statement saying there were serious irregularities. All of this plays into the Afghan narr- the, the Taliban narrative that this government is totally illegitimate. And I think that that, in a lot of ways does constitute a kind of betrayal. You can get out if you want to, and you know what the consequences will be. But to pretend that promises from the Taliban to negotiate with them, to sever their ties with with al-Qaeda that nobody believes they will actually ever honor, uh, will somehow give you a fig leaf so you can say that it's peace with honor, uh, to me is a disgrace. And, um, you know, again, I would disagree vociferously, but I would at least respect... If Trump just said, we're tired, we don't think it's in our interest anymore, we're leaving, uh, you know, if you if you harbor al-Qaeda again, don't you dare. Uh, again, I wouldn't agree, but I would respect it. This, I don't respect. There you go. I mean, yeah. That- oh, wow. I thought we were going to really go after No, I mean, what's, what's the... <laughs> Listen, I, I, can, I, can, I can agree that... This is a very stupid way to go about withdrawing. Yeah. And I also think, however, it is essential to acknowledge that there simply does not seem to be popular support for this campaign. No, there isn't. And the president of the United States either has an obligation to get Congress involved and to have folks authorize this continued engagement there or, yeah, pack up your shit. And go home and tell the American people, level with them then, and say, look, all the things that we were fighting for, unlikely we'll achieve them. We've been fighting for two decades in Afghanistan and training them and providing support and all sorts of other shit. And we failed miserably at doing the things that are necessary for this government to be able to defend itself. So we're leaving. It's likely to go to shit. It might get worse in some respects, but this is what it is. Uh, It's failed policy kind of not my fault. I don't know that that sells particularly well, but I mean, that's if, if president Camille were in office, that is the kind of honesty and candor you could expect to get Eli. Which, that's why I'm, I'm writing you in. Good. But as you I, I, I want to say one more thing on this. I, I think I'm the only neocon that actually supports the libertarian argument on war powers in Congress. 
Mm. And it's for this reason, mm. because I agree with you. Wars should have democratic legitimacy. It's one of the reasons why I want a full accounting and full accountability for the FBI, because I believe these institutions are necessary and therefore they should have democratic legitimacy. Mm -hmm. And that's why I want to, you know, basically re redo the nine, the nine 11 resolution that started the war on terrorism. Oh, because, just, I, it's because it's an inside job. No, it's well. <laughs> I just want to be sure. Do we, we get really, you on the record. Do we really know? Obviously, <laughs> we're just asking questions. Yeah, just asking questions. Building I've seven. done. I've done the metallurgy reports. <laughs> um, no, but it, in seriousness, I think that this is this is, in my view, as somebody who is, I mean, can, called a neocon hawk, warmonger, yada yada yada. But that's why I think we need to have more war resolutions, and Congress needs to reassert its war making authority, be, precisely for this reason. Yeah, because this kind of stuff requires democratic legitimacy and just because you think you might lose a vote or two doesn't mean that the long-term argument is not correct that you need to have more buy-in from this yeah and unfortunately nobody has any buy-in because congress has sadly just abdicated all of its powers and authority to the executive branch and when you elect someone like trump who is attuned to the popular sentiment on this this is what's going to happen yeah well, there there have been some indications that, that Congress is willing to flex its muscle against this particular president. Uh, listen, inadvertent <laughs> accomplishment of the Trump administration that Congress is at least a little bit try and claw this power back. So he's got that and he's got uh, criminal justice reform to his credit. Um, moving on to the Chris Matthews situation yeah, on our way out the door. Yeah, quick thing on here. that on the way out the door. Um, MSNBC, uh, Chris Matthews, earlier this week, I believe it was on Monday, if I'm not mistaken, resigns um, yeah, on no. the air. He pushed. quits. He's, he's yeah. pushed out, but he, he leaves before everyone expects him to. Um, certainly mm -hmm. uh, before um, Mr. Kornacki <laughs> expects him to, who ends up in the chair. Steve, by the way, who is a friend of this podcast and um, did a remarkable job the man deserves a purple remarkable heart. job yeah. i mean steve is an incredible broadcaster and the thing that we forget about broadcasting these days is that because we have so many sort of lantern jawed people who talk like this and are very good steve has the deepest reservoir of knowledge about politics mm -hmm. and i you trust nobody more he's good than him like you have a map in front of him and he's going to tell you every little district and everything yeah yeah and when you and it, but so that's one skill and that's one amazing skill in broadcasting yeah. there's a couple of skills but the other one is that when he's blindsided by this, he comes back and does something which I suspect is probably not what the NBC Mandarins want him to do, is ask everybody who's on the panel to talk about Chris Matthews, yeah. which, just, which I thought was really remarkable, yeah, and yeah. then gave his heartfelt remarks at the end of the sure broadcast, did. which struck me as like, wow, how quickly did he write these and put them in prompter? I don't know if he did that. No. It was extemporaneous and it was so fluid and so good. And I respect Steve just as a broadcaster mm -hmm. who's a guy who's a nerdy political guy, but very, very good on television, handled that situation perfectly. And should, I mean, Chris Matthews was rumored to be getting like $5 million a year or something. Give half of it to Kornacki because give, give, so, give him all of well, it. Give him all of I, it. Give I, him all I will of it. tell you, in, in terms of like serious straight news guys, He's my favorite. I have like, no idea what his politics are. All throughout the campaign, the only station that I actively turn my television to is MSNBC, and it is expressly to see him yeah. 
do his thing and provide coverage. His yeah. last name is shorthand now, basically, for like straight political data yeah. analysis. He's serious. He's serious yeah. and he's good. Yeah. He, 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 might be, very, he might be the best at it. There and, are very few of them left. Yeah. Um, it's Kornacki and Judge Janine. Who we also gold standard. Oh, you, Mitt Romney, are a loser. It's amazing. I made a supercut of that. Camille said, Tapper, Tapper, who's from the same town as you and the same high school. High school, yeah. Is Hebrew Academy. I don't really know Tapper's views on a lot of things. But on Matthews, yeah. A couple of things. On the Matthews situation. I, you know, it's pretty hey, alarming, by do, the way. Can I, can I tell you why yeah, I was a little concerned about this tell before? Me about this. I don't know yeah. what conversation he had with his bosses before they decided to let him go. I've seen this GQ piece, mm-hmm. which appears to be the thing for which he is in trouble. Maybe the excuse. It's yeah. likely that there are other things that contributed to it because when I read that GQ piece on its own in the piece itself, there is an acknowledgement that perhaps this is not any sort of illegal sexual (laughs) misconduct, but it's the sort of thing that made me sufficiently uncomfortable that it was hard for me to do my job. If that thing, if that alone is enough to get you out on your ass, that feels weird to me. And it might be that I need to better understand some of this stuff. Um, But perhaps there's more. Well, there is. And I don't know. And that's what makes it a little bit uncomfortable for me to to chat about it. Because my my instinct is to be very critical of the decision. Yeah, I mean, but it, at the it, same it, yeah. time, I, I don't know what else there might be. But look, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I'm no fan of Chris Matthews, but um, I was a bit alarmed by how quickly this happened. Yeah, and I think that that what you know I said on Twitter um, that th- it was the GQ article that precipitated his uh, resigning or firing. Um, my, I don't think that actually is it. I mean, that's the stated goal, stated the stated reason. But everyone went crazy for two things. And I'm going to try to be because, look, when you're, you're talking about somebody's livelihood and somebody's vocation, they're not losing their job in a lot of ways, losing their vocation. Because it's like Chris Matthews not going to be hired. It's not like, oh, he's a free agent now. CNN's going to pick him up. That's not going to happen. Right. He's lost that vocation in so many ways. But the thing like, I think should be a high evidentiary standard here. But when you're talking about a couple of things, I'm going to try to be as charitable as I can. Somebody who doesn't like Chris Matthews um, in a lot of ways. He said that um, Bernie winning was was uh, like uh, the Maginot Line collapsing, which didn't collapse. The Germans went around the Maginot Line into France. That it was like that in 1940 when the French. He, invaded. Should, he should have said it was like the Red Army advancing into Poland. Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway. that, you could have you could yeah. a better analogy. Yeah, yeah. Am exactly. I wrong? Yeah. Exactly. Anyway. And now people remember <laughs> that, and uh, you know, and the, the von Rib- that Ribbentrop they split it. Yeah, they split they it. They split it. Right. Yeah. It was like <laughs> we take this, you take this. We're all friends. Um, but like everyone's like, I cannot believe that Chris Matthews is comparing. I think I even said this. They're comparing it, a stupid thing to compare it to Nazi Germany. Do understand that when you invoke Nazism, you're going to be comparing things to Nazi Germany. Apparently, by writing books comparing the Trump administration to Nazi Germany, that's not a big deal. But this thing. That, exactly. This thing is a big deal. But also, I'm watching Chris Matthews and I realize that he's trying to reach for a historical analogy that's like a shock it's like this big, like, I don't think in any way that he thinks 
um, Bernie Sanders is a fascist or that that said, he does say a couple stupid things, people getting shot in Central Park and like, but the whole game of cable news is dumb hyperbole. If it wasn't, Dan Abrams would not own Mediate. Mm -hmm. The reason it exists is because cable news is just this nest of hyperbole. And all of a sudden, we're going to say, we disagree with this. We don't like him anymore because he's saying these things. I think the real thing that pushed it over the edge was questioning Elizabeth Warren about Mike Bloomberg on the kill it uh, question, which everyone was really upset. And it said, fire Chris Matthews, fire him, fire him, fire him. Because there are questions that as a journalist, you can be on the side of somebody. You can be partisan. You can, you can, particularly cable news, that's the purpose of it. You can be on the side of a candidate and be asking things from their perspective, but this is too far. We've arbitrarily decided that this was too far. It was a sexist thing, et cetera. So when the firing happens, the GQ article. So I read the GQ article. And she says he compliments her and blah, blah, blah. No sexual assault, no, you know, she doesn't work for him. It's all the usual things that you don't find. But there is one thing in particular that kind of caught my eye. And this is to show you that it ain't just the fucking Janine Piros who are bullshitting you, because they are, but, you know, you know, massaging quotes and the rest of it. There's a bit in the thing that, 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 that to establish the pattern, which is how you fire, right? Is that I don't know about all these quotes, but Chris Matthews has reserved a particular contempt for the women who made it closest to ascending the heights of political power. That's Hillary Clinton mm. calling her witchy, anti-male. I didn't look this up. And she devil. That stuck out to me. Capitalized, by the way. She dash devil. I don't know. That seems a little far for even Chris Matthews. She devil. <laughs> so I looked it up. It was sourced. This is a link in there to Jezebel. I don't know. Apparently, the, the fact-checking department at GQ is, was off because of coronavirus. But there, <laughs> then that GQ sources it to Media Matters, a partisan organization that was started by somebody who was very much a Hillary Clinton partisan, David Brock. The quote is this. It's before, before he was accusing her of murdering Vince Foster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, well, I, I actually don't think it was. He never did that, but the magazine he worked right, for. The did. magazine he worked yes. for. Okay, fair um, enough. <laughs> or, was, or, or was quite um, you know, generous on their opinion of Chris Ruddy's book about this. Chris Matthews, coming back from a commercial bake, says, and you can hear this in Chris Matthews' voice, right? She devil, question mark. Republicans are absolutely demonizing Hillary Clinton. Rudy says she'll run the country to the ground. Are Republicans trying, or, you know, and Mitt, oh, Mitt says she'll run the country to the ground. Rudy openly mocks her. Are Republicans trying to win by branding a Hillary, uh, President Hillary as unthinkable? Come the wow. fuck on people. That's pretty bad. That is egregious. Because if you are, like, so, and I'll tell you how the rot spreads, right? It's a small thing, right? Margaret Sullivan is the media columnist. Everybody loves her desperately. She's the best, she's the best, she's the best. Has a column in the Washington Post saying, hey, guys, it wasn't just that. It wasn't Chris Matthews saying this, blah, blah, blah. For years, quoting Margaret Sullivan, Matthews is a harsh and misogynistic critic of Hillary Clinton. Again, this might be true. I don't know. The one quote that I looked at was this. Once calling her, quote, a she-devil. This is the woman who is the yeah. public editor of the New York Times. The doyan of media criticism in America that everyone bows the feet of. This is how lazy people, this is unbelievably lazy. Anybody's instinct should take two seconds to, to, to just to... See if that's true. Find the source. That's what I do in all this stuff. Well, how do I find plagiarists? 
People say, I've found a million pleasures. Because I don't trust half this stuff, so I want to know where they get it from. And when I look for it, I find out that it's the exact same sentence as the place that they pilfered it from. Always that's the case. I don't have some sort of algorithm in my head. <laughs> this is what happens. I look at the sheet. It's not true. It's not true. So Chris Matthews is run out of town for, yeah, being an old man who has some kind of, the way he talks to people is probably pretty gross or pretty 1970s or 60s or whatever. Nin- but, 1980. But, yeah, 1980. <laughs> but he's been somebody they've understood this about. They've given him a pass. This is who Chris Matthews is. I don't know if that's what you should do, but that's what it has been. And now I think it's because of the Elizabeth Warren stuff, particularly that um, questioning of her in Bloomberg, that they were like, "This is it's time for Chris to go. And I think it was more political than it was his behavior in this kind of, quote, Me Too era. I wouldn't make the argument that Me Too stuff's gone too far, blah, blah. I don't think that was it. I think that was, Margaret Sullivan makes this point too. But I think that, you know, the stuff over, and one final thing I'll say about this, because I'm getting myself in trouble. You're on the air every fucking night for hours, for years, for years. Imagine the things that you're going to say that are wrong that you wish you'd never said, the gaffes that you make. Because in broadcasting, you can find patterns. Rush Limbaugh makes these patterns. I don't forgive the guy because he says a lot of gross stuff, and I think he's probably kind of a screwy dude in a lot of ways. Chris Matthews, I don't know. I don't watch the guy. I've seen him a bunch of times, enough to turn me off. But if you're on the air every night, you make mistakes. You're on the podcast every week. You say, look, I did the thing tonight. I wish I'd never said something about it wasn't quote unquote offensive, Mm. but it was me poorly prognosticating. And I wish I'd never said it. There's a lot of that stuff. So you can aggregate that stuff and get somebody fired if he's not being particularly generous to your your candidate that you love so much in 2020. I don't think it's a good standard to fire somebody for that. I it made me very uneasy, despite the fact that I don't like Chris Matthews. So also there you go. Rachel Maddow still has a job. Yeah, yeah. Fact. That's a fact. But she that's still the thing. job. You can get she, everything wrong. She got it totally wrong. And I'm not I, I'm not one of these people who calls for people to be fired. I just feel like, you know, I don't believe this argument that like, oh, you traversed our standards. Yeah. I think it was I agree with you, it was totally political. It's and opportunistic. By the way, but that's what I mean, are we expecting MSNBC to No, be, no, no, no not. not at all. And they can do whatever the hell they want, and that's fine. But I do believe it's also somebody who hates Bernie with a passion, doesn't think the Democratic Party in the James Carville way should be going in that direction. And I think at the same time, they were probably before Super Tuesday thinking that the, the party that they were going to be defending was going to be Bernie's party. And maybe they don't want that guy, you know, ranting and raving about being shot in parks and Vichy France and the rest of it when he's the nominee. I don't know. It's I, all liked, I like those comments. Because they were funny. <laughs> they were funny. And I'm not saying I think it's, as I said, well, second, we're outraged at cable se- news comments. Second Come term, on. Bernie. Yeah, I'm not. I, second, <laughs> who knows? First, uh, yeah. by the way, I will yeah. tell you a a <laughs> private story about Elon Musk that oh, he will. Ooh. I hope he will uh, not mind me. But we'll cut it out if he doesn't. It's a mild thing. Mm, sure. 2008, the Just election see. is happening, mm-hmm. and the night of the election, we are at an election party at. Uh, Hitch's residence it's where it sexy. with Peter Hitchens. Oh, I love this who, story. By the way, <laughs> is in the kitchen arguing with Eli that the Palestinian Authority was responsible for 9-11. Kind of a weird night. Who was arguing that? Peter, uh, Peter Hitchens. Okay. Yeah, kind of has some wacky views, Peter. Yeah. So uh, at the, this is a couple days later 
Eli is in full froth and being sarcastic. He's not really in full froth, but we're at Morton's. We're eating steak at Morton's in mm-hmm. D.C. A bunch of people. I think it's kind of a bipartisan crowd, as it often is in D.C. And Eli goes on this great rant <laughs> where taking a bite out of a rare, delicious steak, saying that what we're about to face with the Obama administration is that every steakhouse by by executive fiat is going to be turned into a yoga studio. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, it might happen. We'll see. We'll see. America, as we know, so it, yeah. America, as we know, it, is gone yeah. as he chews that bit of steak and says, this will be a yoga studio, a Pilates studio. <laughs> and it didn't happen. And we're happy that it didn't, didn't happen. <laughs> bit of a joke. Yeah. All right. That's should we go? Funny. It's 10 we, o'clock. We should probably get out of here pretty so quick. Yeah. Eli, you got any parting, parting thoughts here? Uh, any, I just want to say, this is such a great podcast, and I, do, I listen to it True pretty much every week. I do. Wow. Uh, and I'll say one thing on that front. Mm. Um, About how great fr- we are? No, but I want to be a shout out to somebody that surprised me today. Okay. A friend of mine who I went to, um, their two of them, their, their parents' house in Martha's Vineyard mm-hmm. this summer, because it's a very sort of bougie thing that you do. And I went to their house, met their father who's a very accomplished guy, an older guy, um, you know, telling me his background, incredibly impressive. I'm asking all these questions and just had the greatest time in the world. And one of the sweetest guys, uh, brilliant and sweet and just had a lot of fun. And he introduced me at some point to his girlfriend, Hmm. uh, who was in a little carriage house painting. Hmm. And, um, later in the night, um, I saw them together for the first time. They're hanging that we, and they're, they, they play music together. Hmm. And it was the sweetest thing in the world. They start playing uh, Simon and Garfunkel fo- songs, I think. Okay. And it was great. We were having this good time, and they were just lovely people. And the next day, I'm talking to his girlfriend, and I did mention that I did a podcast, and I did some other things. And uh, her uh, uh, boyfriend, my, my um, friend's father, said that he had seen some stuff that I had done. And I mentioned the podcast, and... Um, the daughter texted me yesterday and said, you know that dad's girlfriend is giving you 10 bucks a month <laughs> and is a Patreon subscriber and listening to this stuff. And it made me so damn happy Yeah, because uh, they're both absolutely lovely people. Yeah. A fantastic time. Love them dearly. Yeah. Um, and, and just from that, the, those couple interactions, it was a couple of days, three days or something. And um, I'm, totally flattered yeah that uh that she has done this and thank you so very much you know who you are and i appreciate it like like you cannot possibly imagine yeah so so thanks a million i like it real real recognize real um as has become a, a bit of a tradition i would reserve a moment at the end of the podcast to say something deeply unpopular <laughs> um, this, this has become be, a tradition yeah coronavirus yeah <laughs> <laughs> Actually, yeah, actually, yeah. see, that's a that's a different thing. That's the thing I was sharing with you earlier, Eli. The fact that people are like savaging the president for the thing, the stupid thing with Hannity yesterday. I think almost deliberately and willfully misinterpreting what he said. And we should uh, underscore the fact that the president is terrible at this. He is terrible at giving people confidence that he's got all of this under control. Although I can't imagine that President Biden would be doing a much better job, but whatever. I I digress. Um, There's things I could say about the World Health Organization, but apart from saying that it is an organ of the Chinese government and is generally not very good at its job and makes me very nervous all of the time. 
I'm not suggesting that you shouldn't be concerned about the the, the coronavirus. You you probably should. It is also almost certainly the case that a lot of people are hyperventilating. But that's not the thing that is unpopular that I wanted to say today. What I wanted to say today um, has to do with Bernie Sanders. And it has to do with the fact that I think minority rights are important and ought to be protected. And if a presidential candidate is telling you that there is a particular population who I think is uniquely bad and we ought to take their things and we ought to build Jerusalem out of the wealth that we will expropriate from this small population, they are the problem, this small minority. You would immediately recognize that for the kind of awful, contemptible fear-mongering that it is, and for a rather gross, pointed demonization of just a small group of people. And it's, it's easy, apparently, for people to just hate billionaires and to be particularly nasty to them. And I'm making this argument, full disclosure, as someone who over indexes for the number of billionaires <laughs> who I could actually email. And we're friends. It's we're usually, friends. I have billionaires are friends. How did you get I just want to say I just want to say that billionaires are people too. <laughs> Billionaire and, lives matter. And politics, yes. <laughs> Still BLM. Still BLM. Billionaire lives matter. I think I think it's worth acknowledging a, a rather detestable politics of envy, especially when it is propping up political propositions that are completely ridiculous and outlandish. It simply isn't true that you can expropriate enough wealth from these people to actually achieve your program. Furthermore, it simply isn't true that you could do this without grave and disastrous consequences. But even if all of that wasn't true, it would still be gross and disgusting to think that it's fine to demonize these people. And oftentimes like the shit is just like ugly ad hominems, like making fun of their appearances and their inherent awfulness because they happen to have a lot of money. And it is almost certainly the case that plenty of them are in fact awful people. Just like a lot of broke motherfuckers are awful people. A lot of middle-class people are awful people. And yes, some billionaires are friggin' awful too. And maybe a higher percentage of them are awful, but all the same, their rights matter and their rights to property matter. And if your rights to property stop mattering once you've achieved a fortune above $900 million or $999 million, then your rights to property, when you ain't got shit but the shirt on your back, they're a little less secure too. So just give the billionaires a little bit of love. Don't hate um, the player, and, hate the game. And wash Don't your hands. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Wash your hands. Yeah. Jane Lynch, That's it. the actress, mm. made a similar point. Why does everybody hate billionaires? Democrat, um, when, uh, it, it, that was a ratio. Yeah. That was a ratio. And it was over Buttigieg, right? Yeah, it was yeah. over Buttigieg. And it was like, that was one of the more aggressive ratios I've yeah. seen of a celebrity. So go back and look at that. You made a very similar argument. And look, you guys- plenty, plenty of them want to play higher taxes and stuff. And all, all of that's, you know, fine, well and good. I, I just think that they're, 
you ought to be a little uncomfortable with it. They really are human beings. And I don't think the the good intentions of people who say things like, you know, I'm a democratic socialist because I want all of us to look out for one another. You're a democratic socialist because you think it's a good idea to take other people's stuff and give it to people who you like. Your revolution it. is over, Lebowski. I get it. That's fine. If you just want to give away your <laughs> own shit, lost. nothing prevents you from doing it. And again, this is me delivering unpopular opinions at the end of the podcast. And it's possible no one else agrees with me, but I'm still right. Um, so I think that's it. Yeah, I'm glad that somebody's finally sticking up. For <laughs> <laughs> uh, listen, I, I take a lot of risks on this podcast. I won't, I won't make a lot of friends, but I'll make all the right friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that was what, that's what we call shilling. Never yeah. flat coach. Yeah. Uh, Fisher? Just one quick note. Everybody should read Eli's uh, article and commentary, yes. a big, long essay. Yes. Uh, just Thank you Google very much. It yourself. We've mentioned it a couple times, but just in case we haven't driven the point home, please read Eli's article and commentary. Yeah. I Bye. wanted to stick up for the thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse. The fifth column.